Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's get nasty on a Tuesday. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. Once again, filling in for Jamie Rivers, my pal Michelle Smallman, all the way from NY City. Is that where you are technically, New York City? I think I asked you this yesterday. I am in Manhattan, buddy. I am in the Manhattan. city that's so nice they named it twice. Oh, nice. New York, New York. There you go. So, Michelle <laughs> pinch hitting again for the second straight day. Uh, Brad Thompson in Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as Jamie continues his vacation. Uh, Michelle, let's start off with a very, I thought, in-depth look at the Blues trade situation. Jeremy Rutherford, our guy with The Athletic, our Blues insider with The Athletic, he ranked, doesn't ranked, he kind of tiered the Blues players into different tr- like trade categories. And we might as well start with the guy that everybody continues to talk about. And he's the one that, Michelle, I feel as though is the most likely to be moved, and that's Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't think there's any question that Vladdy is dealt at the deadline this year. I don't think the Blues, one, have a good enough roster and or are close enough to, for Doug Armstrong to do what he did in 2019 when he looks around and the building's burning and he says, okay, uh, I'm going to stay pat. Everything's going to be fine here. I don't think I don't think there's any reason to think that way. And when you've got a guy that did request a trade, you know, year and a half ago, uh, who really, he's, he played well last year. I give him a lot of credit. But we're, we're drawing closer to the end. I think there's no question that Vladimir Tarasenko gets dealt, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Blues fetched a first-round pick. Do you see the same scenario happening? Maybe not from a draft compensation, but Vladdy being traded. I do. He's the first person on my list that is likely to be dealt. But, Anthony, I keep going back to the fact that he has a say in what happens. He has a no-trade clause, and... I can't imagine that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to want to go anywhere that's not a contender. And I'm sure there's certain markets and organizations that are on his list. And that's a difficult lane for Doug Armstrong to navigate through. This is a guy who's 31 years old, who's had chronic shoulder problems. Yes, he's coming off a very good season. And he he just showed what he's capable of, at least a small glimpse of it, during the All-Star game during the All-Star weekend, four points for Vladdy. He's a Stanley Cup champion. There's a lot of positives, but there is a lot of things that would make opposing general managers or opposing presidents of hockey operations be a little hesitant about bringing Vladimir Tarasenko in, especially if they have to give up something of value, which they will. And so I just, I wonder how that's going to work for Doug Armstrong to satisfy Vladdy's wants and needs while also 
moving him and getting something positive in return. You know, Michelle, when you say that, I, I think about teams that how desperate are you? How desperate are you as a team right now? Because we, we tend to look at it from the Blues perspective, of course, because we're in St. Louis, we're rooting for the Blues, and we care about the Blues present and, and future. When you when you think about it from another team's perspective, though, if you feel as though that Vladdy can put you over the top, I don't know how you feel. I, I never feel like a team is ever one player away. I don't. Th- I think. I think that's a myth. You're never one player away. You might be one bounce away, one one you know fortunate bounce of a puck away from doing something special. I don't think you're ever one player away. And teams that think that way and operate that way wind up making more mistakes. But when it comes to teams right now that feel as though that they've got a really good scoring punch but they could use just a, just that one more piece to maybe give them, you know, uh, just another scoring threat. How desperate are you? If you're desperate enough, I do think that a team says, screw it, we're going to be picking on the back end anyways of the first round. What's that value to us? Let's, let's get Tarasenko in here for a half a season. We'll pay that cost and we'll move on. But I think it's a matter of how, what's the desperation level for, the, for some of these teams? And I imagine that teams will be desperate to your earlier point though and the one that you made yesterday though is vladdy going to be is that team going to be on vladdy's trade list because if not and he's given a lot of pushback that that's the that's the only reason i think he's here beyond the trade deadline one other thing i keep thinking about anthony is yes he has power in the situation and i'm sure has his preferences of where he would like to go but he's also won it out for quite some time now as you mentioned about right. a year and a half now and the state of the team is not good so maybe Doug Armstrong and his agent, everyone in Vladdy's camp, can convince him to be a little amenable about some of these locations because things are going great here in St. Louis. Yeah. So if he wants out, there's an opportunity there for him to get out. Totally. If I'm, you know, if if, if I'm Vladimir Tarasenko's agent, and athletes have reminded us all the time, Michelle, about the the agent works. The agent works for the player. He he may do the due diligence of talking to other teams, but ultimately. Try, try to find the best spot for my client. And I mentioned this yesterday. If, I, if I'm Vladdy's agent, I may say to him, it's only a couple of months. This might not ultimately be where you want to play. But look at Shattenkirk. Shattenkirk wind up, wound up signing a, a, a deal with the Rangers in the offseason that made him happy. You know, he was dealt to Marshall. Where, where was Shattenkirk? He went to... Washington. So Washington, went, yeah. Did, right? did he get traded the Rangers and then wind up with Washington? So or he went from that Washington, I believe, then he signed with the Rangers, and then he went to Tampa and then Anaheim. Right, then like parts yes. parts unknown. But if I'm, again, if I'm Vladimir Tarasenko's agent, I don't think Kevin Shattenkirk wanted to be dealt to Washington that year. But they make the deal, and then... He winds up signing a four-year, $26.65 million contract with the Rangers. That's There you go. It, you, you may not want to be dealt to the New Jersey Devils, but go there, play well, play for, for a team that, that's going to have an opportunity to, to play in the postseason, and then it's up to you. You can, cho- you can choose. You hit the open market in the offseason. I wonder if he wants an extension after being dealt you look at Bo Horvat he just got an extension from the Islanders because Vladdy has had injury problems what if he gets injured on the tail half of the season mm-hmm. maybe he's losing money then 
So maybe he wants to go to a team where he feels comfortable that he can sign an extension and be set for the years to come. Yeah. That, I think, plays into Michelle's point about how difficult it would be to move him then. Right. If it's a sign and trade, I think I think things become a lot more difficult for, for Doug Armstrong to move him. Because now you're talking about a shorter, a smaller list, the list, in fact, of Vladimir Tursenko, whatever those teams are that he, he wants to be dealt to, that list is small. And then you wind up... What, if, if it's a sign and trade, you're the, if, you're, if you're Army, you're asking for more then. You know you're going to have this guy beyond. This is not a rental now. This is somebody that you're that you're signing to a, I don't know, let's just call it a four-year deal. Then we want more compensation, I would imagine. If you're Army, that's what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. So again, I think I think the, the trade scenario then becomes a little bit more convoluted. And then maybe Tarasenko s- sticks it out and you don't get anything for him. Which is a possibility. It's a possibility. He holds the cards, having the no-trade clause. That would stink. That would stink. But JR has Vladimir Tarasenko under the it's inevitable uh, level when it comes to the trades. Michelle, did you have another? Well, I was just going to say, even with all of the obstacles that could potentially be in front of Doug Armstrong and a, a prospective team, don't you think that it gets done? Don't you think that we're talking about Vladimir Tarasenko getting moved sometime in the next few weeks? I believe so. I do. I believe so. I, I do think too. I think it winds up happening. I don't think Ryan O'Reilly gets dealt. I here's here's why I don't think Ryan O'Reilly gets dealt. I think he winds up signing re-signing on a modest a modest deal. Jamie brought up Tyler Bozak. Bozak wound up playing just kind of a, a you know a very meaningful role for the Blues, but he, he, he you weren't shelling out big time money for Tyler Bozak. I forget the actual contract that he signed initially and then they, they brought him back believe, for one year if if ryan o'reilly winds up being tyler bozak for you on that that contract or one that's similar maybe o'reilly makes it a little bit more on the front end are you good with that knowing what ryan o'reilly brings to the table knowing that ryan o'reilly is a fit for what you're trying to do here in st louis under craig berube that's the way i look at it and that's a smart way to look at it and the more we kind of go through the potential scenarios of what Doug Armstrong could do and what the complexion of this team could look like on the other side, the more I think having Ryan O'Reilly and his leadership is really important. Mm-hmm. He is that conduit between Chief and the players. He's the captain. Whether he's injured or not, he's that voice in the room that people listen to. When he talks, people listen. And if coaching is not the issue, then it's really important that you have that that person in the dressing room that can relay the message and that people are going to listen to. And it, of course, has not been the season for Ryan O'Reilly that everyone anticipated, himself included. He, of course, is someone that could fetch you a lot in return. He's a desirable asset. So if Doug Armstrong is looking to revamp this team, he could do that with somebody like Ryan O'Reilly. But I keep going back to, then who's the leader? Is it Braden Chen? Yeah, I think in that scenario, if Ryan O'Reilly's not here, it would be Braden Chen, don't you? I I know that Robert Thomas was signed to that deal to eventually ascend to that role, and he's making strides towards that, but I don't know if he's that guy yet. Right. I certainly don't think Jordan Cairo's that guy yet. And Jor- Jordan Bennington is that in his own way. I'm Justin Falk, um, you know, Colton Pareko has certainly been around, but 
with David Perron not here, it's it's Ryan O'Reilly. He's mm-hmm. the guy, you know, and, and Braden Chen certainly is a leader in a lot of ways. But I just think for a team that's lacking identity and lacking cohesion, that it would be a pretty big blow to take away the captain. Especially after you saw the, the ripple effect of not bringing back Alex Petrangelo. Like David, but you didn't bring back David Backus, and it it wound up being an outstanding decision. Yes. Petrangelo, though, again, I think there's been a ripple effect that has that has happened from a leadership standpoint, on ice standpoint, to where you are now. The moves, the subsequent moves that you made after the fact, and where you are now, looking at a roster that should be good enough to make the postseason, but is nowhere close right now to being in contention. We'll continue to talk about JR's article. There's a lot of players listed. In fact, he he basically went through every player talking about what tier, what trade tier that player belongs to. And I think there's kind of a a bigger topic at hand that maybe we'll get to a little bit later on. But with Michelle Smallman, I'm Anthony Stalter, 214. Your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's the fast lane here on a Tuesday. We appreciate everybody joining us. You can always text us if uh, you'd like to text us. If you want to tweet us, you can do that as as well. But uh, we have the mic drop feature always open if you want to leave us biggest question of the day or if you just want to respond to anything we're talking about today. Mic drop feature available at 101 ESPN, the mobile app. There's an owner in Major League Baseball that has vowed to shake things up. Is it good for the league? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So I'm going to throw this right over to my co-host today, Michelle Smallman, because, Michelle, you had this story in your What the Bleep segment yesterday, but we never got to it, so we wanted to kind of carry it over. So take it away. You're interested in one of the uh, MLB owners who he's kind of vowed to shake it up, and shake it up he has. And, boy, did he deliver on his promise. Yes, you said he vowed to shake it up, and shake it up he has. He has uh, shaken up the uh, the anger, I guess, with other owners in Major League Baseball. And, of course, we're talking about Steve Cohen, owner of the Mets, who is not afraid to spend his billions of dollars in order to acquire the best players possible to make the Mets World Series champions. And so Steve Cohen had a conversation with Jeff Passan of ESPN, and he addressed all of the other owners' concerns and agitations about the way that he's running his ball club. And here's the quote, Anthony. Let me let me know what you think about, about what Steve Cohen said here. So he says, quote, I've heard what everyone else has heard, that they're not happy with me, meaning the other owners in Major League Baseball. I hear things from people who are maybe more neutral, that they're taking a lot of heat from their fans. I kind of look at that like, you're looking at the wrong person. They're putting it on me. Maybe they need to look more at themselves. He says, I'm not responsible for how other teams run their clubs. I'm really not. That's not my job. And there are disparities in baseball. We know that to be true. I'm following the rules. They set the rules down. I'm following them. And just a reminder, Steve Cohen spent about 15 or excuse me, $500 million in free agency. He he is spending a lot of money and he is very aware that his fellow 
major league owners who maybe are a little bit more judicious with the way they spend their money are not pleased with what he's doing. And he would have spent a hell of a lot more, as we know, if Carlos Correa could have passed their their physical after he failed the physical with the Giants. So he would he would have he was more than willing to spend more to get Correa in there uh, and and add to that team. I love it. I love what he said. He's absolutely right. It is not Steve Cohen's responsibility to have other owners feel good about themselves when they don't spend anything. And I know the frustration often boils here in St. Louis. You've, you know, there's some people call Mo cheap, which, you know, to me, Michelle, it's that's all that that comes from the ownership group. And I think some people get confused with, you know, uh, cheap versus being fiscally responsible. Now, could the Cardinals spend more? Absolutely. I think they should have spent more this offseason. I think they should have added to uh, – they should continue to add to a strength. You know, you got You think your offense is set. Good. Go add somebody else now. That is how I think good teams, good teams operate. So I'm not carrying any water here for the Cardinals. I think they should have spent more this offseason. But we're really talking about the teams that don't spend a dime. And then the, the owners – the owners could get the backlash from fans and then you're going to blame Steve Cohen. Hey, you shouldn't be spending this much or else my fans won't get mad at it. That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's like looking across the street to the neighbor and say, Hey, Hey, what are you doing? You're killing me over here with my wife. You're you're out, you're playing softball all the time. Huh? I can't, I, what are you doing? You doing the lawn? Are you? You're doing the lawn. Really? Cause I'm going to play softball right now. Why don't you do your lawn? So I'm good with my wife. Like that's it. it that doesn't make any damn sense. You worry about you. So I love what Cohen said. I don't know if win if if spending everything every offseason equates to winning though. I think we're about to find out because there's other teams that have spent big. But for now, I love that he is shaking things up in Major League Baseball. I think this is going to be bad for the owners. I think it's going to be good for fans and the and the and the game, the health of the game overall. No surprise here, my Italian brother. We are in lockstep here. I absolutely love what Steve Cohen is doing. And here's the quote out of that little excerpt that pops out to me. I'm following the rules. They set the rules down. I'm following them. Good call. And and bingo, he is. There's a competitive balance tax. He's paying it. He's mm-hmm. got billions of dollars. He doesn't care. There's no salary cap. So until they implement that, he is just following the rules. And I think that this is going to put a lot of heat on other owners to spend more money if they want to win. Because is it going to produce a World Series championship TBD? We have no idea. Yeah. But the Mets are certainly going to be in the mix, and they're certainly going to be entertaining. Yep. And I think that there are a lot of owners that are clearly concerned about profit over production. And I get it. It's a business. They're yeah. At the end of the day, they have a business money. to run. But you also should be, while running a business, going after a championship. And a lot of organizations are not doing that. I I wonder how the ownership group from the Reds feels reading these quotes from Steve Cohen. Because remember, Mm -hmm. they came out and said, basically to Reds fans, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Taunting their fan base. And meanwhile, here's Steve Cohen saying, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to spend. We're going to have some fun and we're going to win. Star players out there, you better believe it. Unless they have a physical that they can't get through, like Correa, we're getting him. Yep. And he and we tried to get him. And I think that other owners should have more of that mentality. Either that, or if you don't like it, put in a salary cap. Absolutely. And then and the players will never agree to that. Never. And to your point, Michelle, we got a text from the three one four. I love what Steve Cohen said. Uh, he also should have said who he should be mad at, the, all the owners. They all should be mad at the owners who are tanking and not spending any of, of, of their money, like you said, with the Reds. 
And I don't even know if they're tanking. I, I don't even I don't even think they're tanking. They're just bad. They're just they just they're not. Do you think the Pirates are tanking? I don't think the I don't think the Pittsburgh Pirates have any desire to spend any sort of money. I don't think they're tanking. I think they're they're they are they know what what it takes to be profitable and they're just fine. They're they'll get the TV money off of it or whatever. They don't care about the gate revenue. Done. They know they know what it takes to be profitable. This is not the Houston Astros. This is not the Chicago Cubs when they tank to get, you know, enough good players and then traded for Justin Verlander, traded for Araldis Chapman. This is not that. There are there are a handful of teams, the A's, the Pirates, who are actively trying not to invest in their teams so they can maximize profits at the end of the year. Bottom line. And yes, Michelle, you're right. It is, it is a business. But these owners, most of them, either acquired the money after it was hand, handed down or they got it in other venues. Go to go to, go back to that other venue then. If you if you want to run a hardware store, great. Run the best hardware store you want. You're in, you're you're one of 30 owners in Major League Baseball. You should there should be. It's even even if it's kind of a more of a guideline than an actual rule that is set. You should be trying to win games. Also, it's a good business model to try to win games. This is all cyclical, right? You spend the money to put out a good product. Guess what that's going to do? It's going to put butts in the seats. Right. Guess what else it's going to do? Have people buy merchandise. It's going to have people buying beers and hot dogs. You're going to generate revenue if more people want to come to the games. Mm-hmm. And I think Steve Cohen recognizes that as well. Do you, How many people do you think want to go watch the Oakland A's? They have the lowest payroll in baseball, $40.9 million. Yep. How many people in Oakland are you, I mean, and I know. It's embarrassing. That with the Raiders gone, maybe it's more of an attraction, but I wouldn't be thrilled. I don't want to go to an A's game. Do you? No, absolutely not. That is is one of the most embarrassing situations in in sports, right up there with the uh, Arizona State Coyotes. And I did not. And I did not misspeak. You I did not misspeak on that. Yes, it, it is I mean, a, like a collegiate the, vibe there. You're right. Hey, we have no room to talk. The Blues lost to him five to nothing. Andy. That's, That's an upcoming team, Martian. You know it. That Coyotes team is good, ish. Not really. Uh, it's been a bad year for the Blues. Yes, it has. By the way, well, let's go back to the to the Cincinnati really quickly. So you have Phil Castellini saying, "Where are you going to go? What are you going to do about?" him not selling the team and, and basically sticking his flag in the ground saying, I don't care that our payroll is $48.6 million. I don't mm-hmm. care that we're not trying to win. Well, guess what the Reds fans are going to do? They're going to go watch the Bengals. Yeah. Guess what they're going to do? They're not going to buy a Reds jersey. They're, they're buying a Joe Burrow jersey. Mm-hmm. They're going da- down the street, and they're going to focus on a team that's winning. Absolutely. As well they should. As well they should. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. By the way, they're, you know in 2008 – the Major League Baseball, they, they did not want a certain owner in, and that owner was Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban had some interest at the time in the Chicago Cubs. He wanted to buy the Cubs. MLB owners did not want Mark Cuban in. Why? We're seeing it now. And for that reason, I'm out. You're out on Mark Cuban? No, I was just making oh. a Shark Tank joke. <laughs> Flew right over your head. Sorry, I, I, I know he's on the show, but I didn't know that was a tagline. Oh, yeah, I apologize. That went right over Mr. my head. Mr. Wonderful over there. That was that yeah. was well done. Uh, yeah, they didn't they didn't want Mark Cuban because Mark Cuban vowed to kind of shake things up. He he wanted to shake things up in Major League Baseball, just like Steve Cohen is doing. He was willing to spend. 
And he, he's Mark Cuban is one of the best owners in, in professional sports. Takes care of his players, takes care of his employees, and spends, which is what? Giving back to the fan base that's showing up night after night. He's trying. I mean, you know, he has won titles in, in Dallas, but he ain't going to win every year. But he understands that it's, not, it's, it's more than just a business venture. Major you League know, Baseball, the owners did not want Mark Cuban, and now they've got maybe even a worse version of Cuban, and I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, yeah, because this guy's not going away anytime soon. No. <laughs> and he's got the money to stick around and, ma- and continue to make noise. But, Anthony, I- I'm kind of surprised. I thought you were going to hold Mo accountable in this segment. I thought this was your opportunity to hold hold DeWitt wow. and Mo accountable. Well, yeah, good call. Good call, Michelle. Uh, why Mo is terrible next on one of – no. <laughs> What's trending is next on one of one ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Warm weather means homework for homeowners. If your homework means a new deck, turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, Evergreen, and Azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber St. Peter's is your go-to place for a huge selection of quality bedding plants, perennials, and hanging baskets. They also carry topsoil and potting mix for your gardening needs. Come visit all Hackman Lumber showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to find out what's going on in the sports world with What's Trending Now, brought to you by Goodwill. Donate a car and get tickets to the St. Louis Cardinals. Welcome back to the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. Anthony Stalter, Michelle Smallman. I'm Andrew Marsh, and it's time for What's Trending. Guys, I just mentioned it in the Sports Center update, but LeBron going for the record tonight. Do you think he gets it against the Thunder? And if he does, just how important is, is that for, for his legacy, being a player who is so highly touted going into the NBA as a high school player and finally achieving, uh, you know, getting to that... Uh, the, the record for all-time points in the NBA. I mean, did you expect that when when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Right, and his high school games were being broadcasted on ESPN or ESPN2, whatever it was. You know, rarely does an athlete at such a young age live up to the hype. I, I feel like there is, there is a larger graveyard of those stories of the can't-miss kid, the can't-miss player, than there are of somebody like LeBron James who really is kind of hated for three three reasons if you do if you do dislike LeBron James it's for it's for three reasons the decision the 
the fact that he's not Michael Jordan or the fact that he's hopped around a lot. Like, it's it's those three things, right? The decision where people can't get past the fact that he sat down and did the interview and was awkward as hell, and then he left Cleveland, right? Not one, not two, not three. So you don't like him <laughs> for that. Four. You don't Can like him for that. You can't throw one more in there. Yeah, not five. You don't like him because he beat your team. And, you don't, and maybe you don't like him because he beat your team. I think I should, probably should have, if I was going to rank those, it's, it's, he's not MJ. As soon as a Michael Jordan fan hears LeBron James, you know he's not MJ. Guys had an unbelievable career. As a high schooler, his games were on national TV. It doesn't happen. We're now, we're seeing, as you mentioned, he's, you know, he's approaching Kareem's scoring record. Bryce Harper's the only guy recently that I felt had all that hype as a young player and has actually turned out to be a great player at the national level where you, you know, where you kind of followed his, his childhood all the way up to where he is now. Can you guys think of another recent example besides LeBron and Bryce Harper? I'd say Sidney Crosby. Oh, that's a good one. That's going back a little, little bit, yeah, fur- a little bit well, further. You know what, though? I'll, yeah, you're right. Because but, LeBron was in that Right, that it was around the same time. 04, the kid. 05 yeah, good was call. Uh, He was Crosby. on the cover of everything. Yep, good call. Um, Andrew Luck was that guy, but it didn't end up the way that we hoped it would. They mm-hmm. didn't build around him and protect him, but he was so highly touted and at least showed us that he could have been that guy, but yep. it it didn't turn out like LeBron. And I think he gets it done tonight. He's 36 points away from the all-time record. And he's averaged 30 points so far this season. But with this on the line, you know that everybody's going to be dishing it to him. You know adrenaline's going to be high. I think he gets it done tonight. And I know that he spoke about this with ESPN. And he said that when he got into the league, he never said to himself, I want to lead the league in scoring or I want to be the all-time leader in scoring. That was never a goal of his. So the fact that he's on the precipice of being number one and breaking this record, he said it's mind-boggling to him even. Sure. And I just, I, you, there's, no, there's nothing that you can say negatively about LeBron James, the player, other than he's not Michael Jordan. Right. And I think we're at this point where they're tied for first, as Tony LaRusso would say. Of course, ever. The people who are going to disagree are always going to go back to the rings debate, and I get it. But I wonder how, if if Michael Jordan was put in the exact same scenarios that LeBron James was, mm-hmm. would he have been able to emerge victorious with as many championships as he did? I don't know. I yeah. really don't know. I would assume he would, but that's that's the fun of the debate, right? And and to me, the comparison to Michael Jordan was always Kobe, not not LeBron. I thought the comparison with LeBron was always Magic Johnson. You know, and I think that's what people knocked him for. He, he was he wasn't that stone cold killer where he was gonna hit he's gonna hit the shot no matter what. Magic Magic would would hit the shot. He'd also dish it off as his teammates open. I mean, Magic Magic was more of a uh, distributor when he had to be. So so is LeBron. I don't think I don't think that's a knock. But as soon as like well he's going to be the next Jordan, he was set he was set for failure. But for him to have this this career and approaching this number, I think is very remarkable. I think it's the great thing about sports, though, is you can have those discussions that will last years, right? We'll be talking about this discussion for the next however many years that we can even think of until the next guy comes along. Right. Maybe maybe they don't. Maybe maybe no one ever gets to this point in their career. Who knows? But I, I, I think it's I agree. I think Kobe's in that discussion, too. Yeah. Kobe had Kobe had a different Kobe had MJ's mindset. Yeah. On the court. Black Mamba. That's right. Well, guys, the NHL is back. Did you happen to see our friend Nazem Kadri get 
absolutely smoked yesterday by Jacob Truba. Open ice hit inside the Rangers zone. It was all over Twitter. Uh, actually, former Blues Sammy Blay sort of got things going as he laid a hit mi- uh uh, in the neutral zone against Milan Lucic and started like a giant brawl. It was a very entertaining game, to, see, to say the least, last night at uh, Madison Square Garden. I can't believe he flew back as as much as he did, given where Truba was in relation to Kadri. You know, that's that's one of those things where it's like maybe a little bit of a running head start and you, and you have a guy leave his feet, but where Truba was, I mean, he he won that far away. The the power that he generated to knock Kadri out was unreal. And I don't feel bad at all. I don't know how you guys feel, but uh, you know, you're not getting any sympathy from me, Kadri. No, not a drop. But the way he was launched was almost cartoonish. How he came out of his skates and his helmet flew off. It, it looked was like something you would see in a cartoon. It was a, it was a legal hit, too. Usually yeah. when we see these hits, you're like, ah, maybe yeah. he got his elbow up near the head. And Jacob Truba is known to do that. And he's known to absolutely obliterate people. Uh, you know, if they're crossing the red line or the blue line, he'll do that. But last night, I saw that hit, and I was like, man, that was a clean hockey hit. Just something you love to see. Obviously, you wish one of the Blues defensemen did that to Nazem Kadri to get some retribution for what happened with Jordan Bennington last year. But uh, Jacob Truba, one of the hardest-hitting defense in the league, Anthony. <laughs> At least right now, uh, it was it was good to see. Nice so. clean hit there, Marshy. <laughs> uh, guys, back in my day, they used to do that every period. <laughs> uh, real quick, Steve Wilkes uh, and Brian Flores—they are defensive coordinators now for two new teams. Steve Wilkes to the 49ers, Brian Flores to my Minnesota Vikings. I'm hyped. What do you guys think of these hires? <laughs> going, <laughs> going from. Uh, what you had in Minnesota with Ed Donatel to Brian Flores is like, is like going from, how do I, how do I say this? Uh, why don't we use Halloween candy? Yeah. Yeah. The old, uh, the black and white candy. Nobody likes the black and white candy. I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody, come on. It must be that obscure. Is it that bad? The black and white. It, It just comes in the two colors, the Halloween candy, the black and white. Because you guys never seen the black and white candy? No. What what is it? What is it? A Michigan thing? It's it's terrible, is what it is. It's the worst candy. That's Ed Donatel. So you basically went from the the black and white Halloween candy to like a Snickers. So you go from an almond joy to a starburst, is what you're talking about. Basically, that's what that is. Almond joy. People give those out still? Yeah. Trash. Oh they, my goodness. They pick so through terrible. the good stuff and they realize we got nothing left. I'll just throw this at the kids. You know what? I did that this past Halloween. I, I, I ate almost yeah, all ate of my Twix. brother's candy that he was giving out to, you know, the kids that go around to his neighborhood. Sure. I ate almost all of the good stuff. You know what? I deserved it. <laughs> you deserved <laughs> it. It's a long day. <laughs> It's your Halloween too, damn it! Yeah, it is. <laughs> nice job there, Marsh. Uh, yeah, I love I love the hire of Brian Flores. I think that's I, I I don't understand why Donatel was a defensive coordinator again, but yeah. going to Brian Flores. Brian Flores is outstanding. I like that hire, and I like the hire of Steve Wilkes. I was hoping that he would get the full time job in Carolina. I thought that he did a great job with uh, the Panthers as the interim coach. Yeah, All almost the... had a, I mean, I'll be in a terrible division. I almost had him in the playoffs. I know. A turnaround and basically every every component of the team, a lot of the players were 
very vocal about how much they loved playing for him. It wasn't the sexy hire, but I thought that he was very deserving of the job. So I'm glad to see that he landed with a good organization like the 49ers. The text line's helping us out here. A ton of people texting in. Black and orange is the color. What did I say? You said black and white. Oh, it's black and orange. That's right. And, and then I, believe, I, said, I even said Halloween colors, and then I said black and white again. Are they are they taffy? Is that what it is? It, it, whatever. It's if it is a taffy, it's like poop oh, taffy. Wait, I I just black and orange. I screwed it up. I got it. I did a little research here. Yeah, the black and orange candy. They're called peanut butter kisses. They, I mean, oh, they're terrible. And they're basically like a terrible beige color. Yes. They're in they're in black and orange wax paper. They look like saltwater taffy but it is a very nauseating beige color that does not look like it tastes like peanut butter at no, all they're like hard it's terrible so yeah that's ed donatel is what i'm telling you <laughs> it's terrible yep with all due respect with all due respect you, you don't have to man. tell me anthony <laughs> i spent an entire season eating those black and orange candies <laughs> yes you did and it ran out of luck on me in the packers, playoffs packers old school packer fans are also feeling your, yeah. your pain on that they're like really ed donatel was in the league again old school versus new school there was a an old a former quarterback that said something about uh well we're gonna let we're gonna let you hear it but but here's the crux of it he's not too impressed with guys like aaron Rodgers and tom brady we'll get into that next on one when espn we're right back to the fast lane podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Michelle, I've always kind of felt bad for Trent Dilfer because Trent Dilfer is always the quarterback that it comes to, you know, top of the mind when you say, well, you know, he won a, he won a Super Bowl. Yeah, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah, you can win a Super Bowl with Trent with somebody like Trent Dilfer. Yeah, if you had one of the greatest defenses known to man, sure. Correct, yeah, yeah. yeah that uh, helps. But Trent Dilfer recently had some very interesting comments about quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And you would think – in any conversation involving Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, that the conversation would be some sort of ranking of, like, you know, the best quarterbacks of the last decade plus. Not so much. Here's what Trent Dilfer had to say about the current current age quarterbacks. Modern day game does not impress me. It's super easy when you don't get hit as a quarterback and when you can't reroute receivers and when you can't hit guys across the middle. I love Tom Brady. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love these guys. It's not impressive. What do you think, Michelle? It sounds like back in my day, that's exactly what this sounds like. And I understand the frustrations from an older generation that didn't have the protections in place that quarterbacks do today. But to say that Tom Brady, who has won seven, seven Super Bowls, and Aaron Rodgers, who's once a Super Bowl and MVP four times and are two of the greatest to ever be at the quarterback position that you're not impressed with them because they don't get hit as much or as hard mm-hmm. as maybe you or some of the quarterbacks and other generations did that they're not impressive i think is ludicrous and i think aaron Rodgers and tom brady are two of those guys that you could have put in any generation in any style of football and they would have success 
I think what you just said there is 1,000% correct. Great players can transcend any era. That's why they're great. You tell me Jim Brown couldn't excel in today's game, he would, been, he would have been outstanding. You tell me Deacon Jones couldn't excel in this day and age, he was a great player. Great players can transcend. Deion Sanders could probably play offense and defense in his prime today. I mean, these are these are tremendous players. Barry Sanders, you know, I mean, the list goes on. I understand. He's not wrong, though. No. He's not wrong. But Tom Brady played at the same time he Tom did. Bra- in the Thank same you. era. Tom Brady played in, in <laughs> he won three did. Super Bowls in different, before 2010. Thank you, Marsh. He played there in different go. eras, including Trent Dilfer's. Now, Tom Brady's game was different then. But so was Trent Dilfer's. You could rely more on defense. You could rely more on your running game. The league has changed because of what? Popularity of the sport. We want to see offense. More fantasy football, more numbers, more. And if you're like, ah, I still like old school. Really? Because all I hear is how this quarterback needs this wide receiver. It's all we hear about. You know what they need? Number one wide receiver. Yeah, because you you think of it in fantasy football perspective. No, what he needs is a bleep in defense like Trent Dilfer had. We never talk about the defense, the, the defense for a quarterback. Shortening the game, giving that quarterback a lead, allowing that QB to not have drive after drive after drive like Mahomes sometimes where he's got to put up seven points every time. The game has changed. Dilfer isn't wrong. Because you couldn't go over the middle before. That was, you know, that that was uh, Ray Lewis territory. That was Mike Singletary territory. That was, you know, Brian Urlacher territory. You get your head taken off if you go if you go across the middle. The game has changed. But don't tell me Tom Brady couldn't play in Dilfer's era, because as Marsh just pointed out, he could. Or Aaron Rodgers couldn't play in that era. How about your guy Dan Marino? Oh, please. What would Dan Marino be doing? But to Dilfer's point, what would Dan Marino look like in today's NFL? He would be the number one quarterback, period, bar none. His, he would he, be Tom Brady. With, with like, better numbers, oh, better passing numbers. Through the roof. Dan Marino, for Dan Marino to only get to one Super Bowl is, 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 is one of the biggest crimes in, in sports. It's a sports tragedy, frankly. It is. Love Dan Marino. You know he's my guy. And he helped uh, Ace Ventura solve that crime. So yeah. where was doc- Snowflake in that, be? In that documentary. Where would Snowflake be without Dan? Exactly. Like, let's just be honest. He could have went but, to another Super Bowl, though, if you know he held the laces correctly. Yeah, laces out. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, you know, and that's you know, one that's on him. He's got to de- he's got to deal <laughs> with yeah. that. Yeah. Did you guys you guys saw that documentary, right? I mean, yeah. it's fantastic the way they they broke that down, and you know the the in depth look at uh, Ray Finkel's family and. Uh, how his mother's become, uh, you know, kind of a dingbat psychopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting look. But now, good, uh, another good point by Marsh. Yeah, Finkel and Einhorn. Just let's get it right. Correct. Yeah. Because that was the twist. Finkel the is Einhorn. Also, one more thing, guys, about about the older generation saying, oh, I'm not impressed by what these guys do today. I really don't like when other generations don't want it to be better 
for the next generation. Like what I've endured as a woman in sports, I don't want the next generation to have to deal with. I want it to be better for them. I want them to never have to deal with any of the stuff that I've done. Because isn't that the point that you pave a path and you make it better? If I was a quarterback and I had to deal with getting hit all the time, getting hit across the middle, and I saw what it did to me physically, what Seriously. it did to so many players and their brains, why wouldn't I want the next generation of players to have better protections? Why wouldn't I want them to be put in a better situation? It's not only better for the human beings, it's better for the vitality and longevity of the game Absolutely. to have these quarterbacks protected. You're, Michelle, well said. You're absolutely right. How many, I mean, didn't we go through this? Wasn't that one of the biggest criticisms of the NFL 10 years ago where it's like, you, you know, you didn't tell these players the, the health risk and all that, and then big lawsuit. Okay, so they make all these changes. And, yes, I think, I think it was mostly done because of the entertainment aspect, which I'll actually go back to in a second. But you're absolutely right. S- player safety is a, a bigger part of the game now. I'm not going to pretend that that's the number one you know, uh, thing that the the NFL bases all of its rules on, but it player safety. They we've come a long way in that regard. But you're absolutely right, Michelle. I mean, for Trent Dilfer, hey Trent Dilfer, you probably don't have a Super Bowl if you played in today's game, dude. I'm sorry, you don't. In fact, you know the Ravens' defense, I think, would translate, but I, I don't. I I don't know. I don't know if you're you're still hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, throwing for 78 yards a game. Uh, but when it comes to the entertainment aspect, Michelle, to build off of your point. Don't we want to see that? How fun was the NFC Championship game this year? Where Brock Purdy goes down and then Josh Johnson has a concussion. Purdy's got to go back in. He can throw only throw the ball five feet. You want to see that? You want to see backup quarterbacks week after week? Because that, that's what would happen. Because these defenders aren't going to – they don't care. They knew their number one mission back in the day was, hey, if we take Jim Kelly's head off, we could win this game. Yep. Or if we, you know, blow out Dan Marino's knee, we're good. We can win this game. That that was the mission. We as fans of consumer, con, as a consumer, do you want to see that? You want to see no. backup QBs? You want to see the third stringer every week? Because that's what we that's what we would get. Michelle Smallman, Anthony Stalter. It's the fast end on one hundred and one ESPN. A tale of two teams. We got a great text on the Cardinals the other day. We're gonna talk about that tweet. We're gonna or actually the the text illustrated a, a really fascinating conversation I think uh, that that kind of broke out between Michelle Marsh and I you know in the office and kind of the pre-show meetings we're gonna take that on air next on 101 ESPN we're right back to the fast lane podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN Fastlane on 101 ESPN. 304, your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman filling in for Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Stalter. We got a, a great text the other day, Michelle, that we didn't wind up reading, but wanted to build into a segment because I think it's a very interesting question. I don't know if there's a right answer to it, but I think a lot of listeners are going to have, uh, I think it's going to th- be thought provoking for some people. So here's the text. Why is the Cardinals front office and coaching staff blamed for all the issues that come up over a season? But when the Blues struggle, it falls on the players to just play better or, quote-unquote, buy in more. 
Now, I think we have to kind of parcel out who, who is actually saying this. I, I take it as, Michelle, maybe this, this texter is suggesting that the media does this. The media says, well, the, it's the front, it's, it's Mo, it's Ollie, it's the hitting coach, it's the, and it's not the players, but when the Blues are struggling, it's, it's all in the players and not Doug Armstrong or Craig Ruby. But the more I thought about it, maybe this texter is including fans with that. Fans have, I think, a little bit of a biased when it comes to forgiving maybe some some of the Cardinals players and and being a little bit more hard on uh, specific Blues players that they don't they don't like. But let's start there. What do you, what do you think that 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 text is directed to? Who do you think that was directed to? I would suggest that that text is directed towards the fans or is maybe suggesting that the fans put more pressure on the Cardinals coaches and front office than they do the Blues. And I actually think that we should separate the front office and the coaches because I think one group in both of these subsects gets a little bit more heat than the other yeah. or, or comparatively. Because I think John Mozeliak and the front office for the St. Louis Cardinals certainly takes a lot of heat. But look at the heat that Doug Armstrong is getting right now. I think he he has a great track record, but is being held accountable right now by media, by fans about this team that he assembled this year. Um, I don't think it's been as critical towards Army as it has towards Mo over the past few years, but I think he still does get held accountable. I think more specifically, if you look at the coaching staff, whether it's the manager, the hitting coach, the pitching coach, specifically the hitting coach, the Cardinals coaches get way, way, way more heat than the Blues coaches do. And I think that that's because of two things, Anthony. I think, number one, because the St. Louis Blues just won a Stanley Cup a few years ago. And... When you don't do it for over 50 years, it's really hard to doubt the guy who came in and got the job done and did it in a manner that really resonated with St. Louis, that gritty, tough, physical style of play. Chief is tailor-made for us, right? He does not mince words. He is straight to the point. He's got that attitude that we love here in St. Louis, and he's got the results to back it up. So I don't think that he gets as much criticism as the coaches do for the Cardinals. And I think that the Cardinals coaches, specifically the hitting coach over the past few years, Jeff Albert I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. got a lot of heat because the offense wasn't producing and because I think we're pushing back against the way that analytics have infused themselves into baseball and made it less entertaining. And we kind of crumpled all of that up and we levied all of that anger and criticism at Jeff Albert. Uh, You know – the great points, especially with Barubi, and and when you win, it it takes. I, th- I think you got kind of like a five year grace period. It feels like where where fans start to eventually kind of turn turn back and say, wait wait a minute here, that was that was great. Thank you for all that you have done, but you know we want to see it again now, uh, and you're not getting it done. So, I th- but I do think there's a, there's a little bit of a grace period. I agree I agree with that. I also agree with the aspect of like. I don't know if this is the main reason. And again, we're talking about, you know, why is the Cardinals front office and coaching staff blamed for all the issues that come up over a season? But Blues, the, when the Blues struggle, it often falls on the players. Uh, they just need to buy in more. That was the tax we got. You know, when it comes to like a hitting coach, Michelle, I, I've often felt this way. I, I think we as fans, we, we put way too much onus on what the hitting, hitting coach actually is. I've used this comparison before a hitting coach is not an offensive coordinator 
Yes, they have hitter meetings, but it's not like you come in and everybody sits down and you say, this is how we're going to, this is the game plan for today. Yeah, you get tendencies from the, for, for the, the starting pitcher. You get tendencies on relievers. But it's not like we've got one approach. Hit the ball out of the park. Ready, break. There's no game plan. It's not an offensive coordinator. Furthermore, to suggest that Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt in their careers need some sort of game plan laid out by Jeff Albert or whoever is absolutely ridiculous. These are players that throughout their careers developed into the, the, the players that they are. We can't just, when they're going great, like when Goldschmidt was going great from May to, you know, August, I didn't hear anything about Jeff Albert helping him. It was all Goldschmidt. As soon as he started to struggle, it's, what is Jeff Albert doing at Goldschmidt? It doesn't work that way. So I think, I think we as fans tend to, you know, inflate what a hitting coach's responsibilities are actually, you know, about. I think as an organization – your hitting coach should have, you know, one philosophy throughout, and maybe some of the younger players' development falls in, at them. But once the player is established, I highly doubt, Michelle, that Nolan Arenado is going to Jeff Albert and saying, "You gotta fix me." He he's he knows his swing, he knows what he has to he has to do. So I think there's some element of that too. I I also think a couple other things just popped into my head there, Anthony. When you have players, and if memory serves me correct, I think it was Tommy Edmond who are publicly coming out and saying, we're not making the right adjustments. The preparation is not there. Mm -hmm. That gives us the open door and the runway to then ask questions and criticize the hitting coach and the approach. What's going on here? If you have players talking about it publicly, clearly something's off. And I also think, let's not kid ourselves. The Cardinals are held to a different standard than the Blues are. They're their own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. They have had such great historical success and such sustained success that we expect more from them than we do the Blues. Now, things are different now that the Blues have won. But before the Blues won in 2019, Anthony, it was something that, as you know, we just we were like, I hope I see it before I die. Yeah. There was a little bit of that desperation factor. We thought the Blues were cursed. Randy and I were looking up black salt on the dark web. <laughs> we're going to go down to Enterprise Center and do some black magic because we were like, what is going on? You still got some team? of that stuff. Can you head down to Atlanta? I think they might need it. <laughs> you know, we didn't actually procure it. I got, we got a little nervous. We didn't need to because they wanted <laughs> I was like, is this one, you know? Michelle and Randy were on some dark websites, Marsh. Yeah. They're like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I don't know if this is Not for great. us. <laughs> Randy touched the cup before the Blues even he won. It. He did, yeah. Big old smack Maybe that was... That was the key. The key, I don't know. That was know. the curse lifting. Yeah. We all blamed him, but we should be congratulating was, Randy and praising him. I was furious. Yeah, mm-hmm. he kissed it first. Um, but with the Cardinals, we expect them to win whereas with the blues we were just so grateful that it happened and i think we are getting to the point where that honeymoon phase after they won has dissipated a bit but some of that those feelings are still there for greg berube and and for some of the players but i i like you said gm's coaches usually get a five-year grace period after they won mm-hmm. i don't think john mozella got a five-year grace period after oh, they hell won no. in it was, that's fantastic what are you going to do for an encore you know what you I think bow, it was? Your bow tie? I think the next day people were like, well, it was Tony LaRusso's team. Yeah. And Tony LaRusso made all the decisions. That wasn't John Mosley. Like, that was right. TLR. 
pulling all the strings. I don't even know if he ever really got the credit he deserved for everything he did that season, including the the trade of Colby Rasmus that brought in the, the bull- bullpen. Yeah. That brought in the bullpen arms. Right. That that allowed them to win. I don't think people even still want to give him credit for that. They want to look at the Matt Carpenter extension, or they they there's so many things that they want to point to for right. reasons why they don't like John Mozeliak, even though the Cardinals have been able to get to the postseason and have a lot of sustained success under him. But we do hold the Cardinals to a different standard, and the, the organization is the first to tell you that they understand that the expectations for them are different. The three one four makes a a pretty good point here. Uh, there's also a difference in baseball and hockey. Hockey is seen as more of an effort sport. Whereas baseball is more of a skill or collection of skills. It's easier to blame the players when you feel like they aren't putting in the effort or they screw up the system just by being dumb or nonchalant. But baseball, it's harder to get mad at players when they just don't get it done because the other guy is just better than them. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. I think there's a, a pl- I think there's plenty of truth to that. The the other thing I would say here, wh- whatever reason it is, I actually believe that there should be more onus on the players especially in baseball. It is such an individual sport. Ollie Marmel is not standing in the batter's box with Nolan Arenado. He is not in the ear of Tommy Edmond when he goes to goes to the plate. Of course there's preparation that, that goes into that. But you're part of a team. You're an athlete. On top of that, you're a professional athlete. You take, you take responsibility in your own development. And if you're not developing, but you need you need to take responsibility for for yourself in that in that regard. So again, I I do think that there should be more onus on on the players and less on the hitting coach. The hitting coach in every market is blamed for everything. It, it's it's like a rite of passage for a baseball fan. I think. Well, it's it, they're an easy scapegoat because I I feel like we can't really blame the managers as much as we used to because we know a lot of power has been taken out of their hands. Very true. Michelle, are you all right back there? Is there a Siren going off? Yeah, it's New York City. There's always a siren going <laughs> that off. That happened to Anthony the other night. <laughs> it did. We were at... Uh, we were at... Um, I didn't know you guys could do that. Centene. <laughs> we are at Centene uh, Community Ice Center. I was doing, I was doing a, a live read, and I'm hearing the sirens go The sirens go off, and I'm like, this can't be good. So I finished the live read, <laughs> and all I hear is, everybody needs to evacuate. There's, a, there's been a fire report in the building. I think everything was fine, but I... In the break, I'm like, Marsh, we got to go. <laughs> finish the show. You fin- finish the show, Marsh. All right, it's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Super Bowl checklist. We're going to go quickly, position by position, coaching, who's got the edge, Eagles, Chiefs. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fastlane podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Chiefs, Eagles, Super Bowl Sunday. Let's go down the Super Bowl checklist. Michelle Smallman, Andrew Marsh, I'm Anthony Stalzer. Let's start off with quarterback because I think this one, despite the fact that both are MVP candidates, is pretty easy. Uh, any Anybody going to make the case for Jalen Hurts over Patrick Mahomes? I'm not. You guys can. Marsh, <laughs> Jalen Hurts is your guy. He's That's my true. guy, but I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. I, w- I would say I would make the excuse of, you know, well, Patrick Mahomes has a bum ankle. Clearly that didn't stop him the past two games. No. So, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts hasn't really done anything in the league yet. Like, yeah, sure, he's, you know, he's helped his team get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, it's his third Super Bowl. 
Mahomes threw for over 300 yards on a bum wheel. Like, yeah. The guy, yeah. the guy's unbelievable. So, all right, edge, edge Chiefs for quarterback. Yeah, and conversely, Jalen Hurts didn't have his best game versus the 49ers. No, he didn't. He did not. He did not look that good. Honestly, I didn't think. Did you guys? And we didn't. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about it yesterday because it's a week past. But did you guys think that any of the four teams really played well? I mean, really, like, kind of had their A game. Like the Eagles did what they had to do, but they knew as soon as Johnson was out, they, they yeah. look. They, they can kind of pop that thing into cruise. I I thought that the Eagles' run game got to where it 100%. needs to be heading into Super Bowl Sunday because towards the back half of the year. It was a little shaky. Wasn't sure what we were going to get from uh, Miles Sanders, and he came out and had a big game. I thought that was huge for them, at least momentum-wise, heading into Super Bowl Sunday. I thought, and we could do this now, if you want to do running backs or the running game as a whole, I think the Eagles have the edge there, too. I, I was highly impressed, if not shocked, the way the Eagles were able to run the ball against the 49ers. They kept attacking the weak side. San Francisco never really made any adjustments. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's one of the better defensive coordinators. Now he's the head coach or will be the head coach for the Houston Texans. But we're talking about a guy that knows knows how to make in-game adjustments. And the Eagles, it wasn't just Miles Sanders. Kenneth Gainwell, his speed, I think, caught the 49ers off guard a couple of times. Uh, the, no, the overall numbers may not have been there for Gainwell, but I thought he was impactful. I, I'll give the running, the running backs or the running game uh, uh, to the Eagles that edge. I will too, and and in addition to everything you just said, Anthony, because the O-line has been outstanding and because you have the Jalen Hurts effect when he's yep. able to use his legs too. That is another wrinkle for that Eagles run game. And I think Isaiah Pacheco is, has developed into a very reliable piece for the Chiefs. You saw him work more in the passing game last week. I thought that was key. But you also have to consider when it comes to just the running game, is Andy Reid going to stick with it? I don't think he will. He he, he rarely does. It's not That's not who he is. So uh, I think that's another, another reason to back the Eagles from a running game standpoint. How about skill position players? You've got A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, uh, Quez, you know, Quez Watkins for the Eagles. On the other side, you've got a very banged-up Kansas City receiving core, but you also have Travis Kelsey, and I do believe that Kadarius Tony and Juju Smith-Schuster will play. And then, of course, you got Travis Kelsey. From a skill position standpoint, who do you give the edge? Even despite the injuries, which I think is a huge factor in this conversation, but even despite that, I would give the edge to the Eagles. They have shown us that regardless of opponent the entire season, that their receivers can match up with any group's cornerbacks. Marsh? Yeah, the way I look at this is which quarterback do I trust the most to get the ball to these weapons? And for me, it's Patrick Mahomes based on how Jalen Hurts looked last week, him throwing the ball. Will he have a game similar to what we saw in the NFC Championship? If he does, I don't like their chances. Um, overall, though, I like the Eagles' weapons more than I like Kansas City's. Although Kansas City, in my opinion, has the best weapon on the field in Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Uh, but if we're going quantity over quality, I'm going Eagles. 
It's tough, though. I mean, each team, they have their own little schemes and little plays that they draw up to make these guys effective in their own way. So for me, it's tough, but I'm leaning towards the Eagles on this one just because of the healthy bodies. Yeah, I do, too. You know, Jarek McKinnon, too, I think you have to fact, even though you know, he's a running back, he's still a skill, skill position player. But Jarek McKinnon does impact Kansas City's passing game as well. I mean, there was a run there where he had a bunch of touchdowns in consecutive games. Uh, but I'm with, the, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm with the Eagles, too. I mean, A.J. Brown... Uh, both guys, both AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, they do it in different ways, but they they can beat they can beat single coverage. Devontae Smith is a monster against zone coverage, and Dallas Goddard, while nowhere close to Travis Kelsey, I mean, not few are. Dallas Goddard is a nice weapon in the middle of the field. If we move to offensive line, uh, this is this is a no. The, the Chiefs' offensive line, I think, is one of the biggest will be one of the biggest issues in this game. I think the Eagles' defensive line, so if we're just doing trenches, I think the Eagles have a significant advantage in the trenches. I think they're more physical. I think that there there are so many ways to exploit Kansas City's O-line. I think this is how the Eagles win the game. I'm going to go with the Eagles in the trenches. Couldn't agree with you more, Anthony. That's exactly what I, I said recently. That's why I think the Eagles win. Not only do they have the most complete team, they're going to win at the lines. They're, they're just superior on both offense and defense. I wonder if we see something similar to the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. You know, it's not like Tom Brady was out of this world. It was the the defensive, it was the defense for Tampa Bay that really got to Patrick Mahomes. And oh, we yeah. saw him. <laughs> I was thinking of the Eagles-Patriots. I'm like, oh, no, Marsh, no, 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 no. Their team punted in that game. No, what are you talking no. about? Uh, against Patrick Mahomes, you know, Patrick Mahomes ran around. Absolutely. Making unbelievable plays, or at least attempting to. Right. However, he can't really do that this time around. So I wonder if we'll see something similar. Uh, but yeah, if the, the, the I, I completely agree with you. If the Eagles are going to win, it's going to start right there on their defensive line. Despite the fact that I went back to the Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl and not the one you're referring to, Marsh, I had the exact same thought. I, yeah. I wonder if we're going to see Mahomes trying to kind of run for his life and you know, we'll talk about the coaching next because I think we all agree the defense, that that's a no-brainer. The Eagles have the better defense. Uh, but when it comes to coaching, I didn't think Andy Reid made enough adjustments in that game to help Mahomes. There was a lot of times where the, the Buccaneers were, were were kind of rushing from the middle of, uh, middle of their defense or sending linebackers. And I thought, when is when does Andy Reid – and Andy Reid, look, Andy Reid has, has forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But I kept waiting for Andy Reid to attack – the outsides uses running backs because if you're not line up in the a gaps you're constantly going to go in the middle of the field where are your defenders not they're not on the outsides and i kept waiting for reed to attack that part of the field and he just never did but i do i do side with andy reed when it comes to the coaching it's you have to yeah he's he's got the experience he's got the hardware right yep you're definitely going to side with andy reed but speaking of defense and coaching one guy who's always a factor in these games is steve spagnolo mm-hmm and I was looking back, I was reading about it this morning. So when the Chiefs and the Eagles played in week four of last year, Spags, he blitzed Jalen Hurts on 31.6% of his dropbacks. The NBC Sports has this. And Jalen Hurts really struggled in that game. Seven for 15 on those plays, only 62 yards. Yep. And coming off of what we saw versus the 49ers, I... I I, I forget who was it Diana Rossini who was reporting on the Super Bowl about Spags mm-hmm. and she was saying that he's a journaler that he go he he always writes his thoughts down and that he's been going back and revisiting his journals not only from 
his experiences versus the Eagles, but in past Super Bowls and what has worked and what they've learned. And we've just seen Spags many times on the big stage dial something interesting up, and yep. I would not be surprised if we see it again. You know, to your point, Michelle, who has really fooled Jalen Hurts this year? You haven't seen it. You haven't seen Jalen Hurts look really uncomfortable. There's been games, like Arizona kind of held him in check mm -hmm. middle of the year, but you really haven't seen Jalen Hurts look ultimately confused. And Spags, as you know, as much as he had limitations as a head coach, he's a hell of a defensive coordinator. He don't have the team that he did against San Francisco when they won the Super Bowl. But he, he could dial something up that maybe confuses Jalen Hurts. I don't know. I, I hope I hope it's a fantastic game. The point spread would, would indicate that it's gonna be close. Uh but but we'll see. It's it's interesting, right? You got the Eagles, like the, the Eagles top to bottom are the better team. But where do the Chiefs have like the advantages? In the things we always talk about. Mm -hmm. Coaching and quarterback play. Which sometimes that's all that matters. We'll see. See you on Sunday. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Would MLB expansion ruin a great rivalry? I, I wanted to bring this to the table because Jim Bowden of The Athletic, he talked about expansion in Major League Baseball, and it seems to be a forlong, con foregone conclusion that they're going to add th 32 teams. They're going to add two, two additional teams. And he said, why don't you go a step further? Redesign the leagues, redesign the divisions, and make it make, it make sense geographically. But in his version, the Cardinals would not be in the Cubs division. How would you feel about that? We'll get into that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fast line on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Anthony Stalter. Would MLB expansion ruin a great rivalry? Michelle, I was reading Jim Bowden at The Athletic, and he talked to Rob Manford. I don't know. I don't remember how long ago he said he talked to Rob Manford, but the MLB commissioner, when asked about expansion, said, yeah, yeah, it's going it's it's to happen. There's gonna the league will expand to 32 teams at some point. I, I don't know if it's gonna be tomorrow or two years from now, but it looks like that that Major League Baseball will add two additional teams to the league, whether that's in Nashville and or Charlotte and or Vegas and or whatever. There's gonna be expansion. What Jim Bowden did was he he decided that to take it a step further, since it's kind of inevitable that the the league will expand, he decided to redo the leagues, the two leagues, and redo the divisions. And he based it on geography, what makes sense. And he, he gave reasons for it, too. Before I kind of allow Jim Bowden to tick everybody off here in St. Louis, <laughs> let, let me at least give you the reasons for it. His reasons for redoing each division, yes, on geography, it makes sense. His thought, though, was also if you are a Mariners fan, for example, you can travel – to see your Mariners if you want to go to cities like San Francisco, because I believe he had the same, the same, uh, they had the Mariners, the Giants, the A's, and the Angels in the same division. Doesn't make sense from what we know as baseball fans. The Giants should be in the Dodgers division. And I'll get to the 
rivalry aspect here for St. Louis in a second. But his his idea was, again, players, the travel is less rigorous, and you as a fan might appreciate traveling to go see your team out of town, checking out a new city. So those are some of the reasons that he outlined. Those are the main ones. But in his redesign of the league, when he redesigns the Cardinals division, he did not include the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs, White Sox, Twins, and Brewers were in one division. The Cardinals, Royals, Rangers, and Astros would be in a division. So obviously you're going right down there, the American, you know, the 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 map of America going straight down the Midwest. How would you feel as a Cardinals fan if the Cubs weren't in your division? Hate. <laughs> you hate if they're in the division, hate if they're out of the division. No, no, no. If they aren't in, if the Cardinals and Cubs are not in the same division, shame on Major League Baseball. Wow. Marsh, you threw out the, the S word there. Shame. I'm going to go full Game of Thrones, and I'm going to ring the bell and follow around Rob Manfred and just go, shame, shame, shame. Baseball already has enough problems keeping people entertained and keeping people engaged with the games. Why would we take away one of the number one things in sports that gets people fired up to watch the games and rivalries? And not just the Cardinals and the Cubs, but as you mentioned in this proposed realignment, you're you're taking away the Dodgers and the Giants, one of the the greatest rivalries in baseball and in sports. Why would you do that to yourself? Right. Anthony, when my friends make dumb mistakes, I try to learn from them, just like I hope that they learn <laughs> from my dumb mistakes, okay? If I am Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball, I'm looking at our old pal college football, and I'm looking at realignment and how that has shifted rivalries in college football and watered down what is one of the best parts of college football. Uh, we're talking to a Missouri-slash-Illinois audience. We don't have mm-hmm. to talk about Mizzou and Kansas not being able to play against one another and how awful it is that, that, that that's gone and how a lot of Mizzou fans wish that that was a regular thing. Colorado-Nebraska, the Holy War. I mean, there's so many examples of things that elicit emotion and hatred, even if it's good-natured hatred, like the Cardinals and the Cubs. And why would you want to take that away from your product and from your fans? All right, so allow me to play devil's advocate then. If Let me start here. Do you feel, and your points are well made. Thank you. And I don't think I'll be able to combat them, but let me try. Okay. Uh, Good luck. Godspeed. <laughs> Shame. I feel like I feel like that was a Game of Thrones Thrones moment too. Good luck, or maybe it's taken. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Janet, for the for the backup and the hype. Yeah. So, do you feel as though, Michelle, in your opinion, that the Cardinals Cubs rivalry will outlast or endure? Do you feel like it will endure? Do you feel like it has enough staying power that you will always hate the Cubs? Let me answer your question with a question. It's not the game. Has the rivalry endured thus far? Yes. Okay. Why would I have any reason to believe that one day I'm going to wake up as a girl who grew up cheering for the St. Louis Cardinals and be like, you know who's not so bad? Chicago Cubs. (laughs) You know what beer doesn't get enough credit? Old style. (laughs) You know who's not too bad? 
that Chris Bryant, he has some good points, even though he doesn't play for the Cubs anymore. Right. He had some good points about St. Louis being born. You think I'm going to wake up one day and just all of a sudden think the Cubs are cool? No. no. I'm still going to be mad that they've won more recently than the Cardinals. I'm still going to be mad <laughs> that that they had the audacity to uh, have the little brother come come up and, and beat the Cardinals in 2015 and win a World Series. And that's what makes it great. That's what makes it awesome. And there's been little other rivalries along the way. We know the heat that has existed between the Reds and the Cardinals, Yachty, Brandon Phillips, Castellanos. There's been some moments. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Brewers, Nigel Morgan. There's been there's been some heat. You mean but Tony Plush? Yeah, T Plush. That's right. Alberta. <laughs> Speaking of audacity, you have the audacity to disrespect Albert Pujols. Like, see, I'm still mad. I'm still mad all these years later. But I, I, I don't know why even a friendly rivalry would somehow go away unless you actively realign things to make it go away. What if, though, if we can both agree, and I agree, if that if the rivalry will endure and you always, as a Cardinals fan, hate the Cubs and Cubs fans will hate the Cardinals, then can you make the argument that fewer games would actually bring out a more heated rivalry. The games become more special. I'll give you a really bad example from this past okay. year because of the team that I'm going to use. But do you remember that Yankees series? And Michelle, I, uh, pardon me, I don't know if you had moved out to New York yet, but d- did you did you witness that Cardinals-Yankees series at all? I did, yes. Okay, so it was a weekend series. And albeit, again, this is where the poor example comes in, it is the Yankees. But that weekend was the place was incredible. I went to the Sunday game, which happened to be the hottest day of the year. The hottest game of the year. It was like six hours long. It was six hours because Frankie Montas <laughs> and Adam Wainwright had a rough one that day. But my parents came into town. Dad, born and raised in New York, huge Yankees fan. Parents were in town. We went out. The ballpark, it was standing room only, and I was asking around. It was the same way the previous the previous two nights. Again, it's a Yankees. It's a weekend series. Paul DeYoung did that Friday night. Did he hit the home run that night? No, or, he or had the a double, big double. You double down the right field line. Yep. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, they swept. They swept the Yankees that that's, that's that right. weekend. But Michelle, think about watching that series fewer times, knowing the Cubs are going to come to St. Louis fewer times, and you going down to Bush Stadium, knowing you may not have the opportunity for you know I don't know. It, several times throughout the course of the year to enjoy Cubs Cardinals. Wouldn't that make it better? Absolutely not. Oh, come on, Michelle. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what makes it better, Anthony? You're you're donned as the hold Moe and DeWitt accountable guy, right? Right, right. Fans want you to do that. You know what holds them accountable? If the Cubs are good. If the Cubs can win the division over the Cardinals. It's never going to happen. (laughs) Cubs are never good. They have been, my friend. They have been. But isn't that part of what helps you sustain interest over 162? Is if your division rival is over your shoulder and you're worried that they're going to sit on the throne of your division? It keeps me interested, I'll tell you that. And would baseball ever dare to break up the Yankees and the Red Sox? They would. (laughs) No. No. In fact, Jim Bowden has those two in their divisions. 
Of course. You would never, ever break up the Yankees and the Red Sox. So why is the middle of the country and the West Coast not getting that same respect when it comes to rivalries? Because they should. I'm sick of this East Coast bias. I mean, geographically, it would it would make sense the the way he the way that Bowden had it, but it would be interesting if it was like Cubs, White Sox, Cardinals, and Royals. Royals, yeah, that's who it was. Yeah. It was the Royals. I'm sorry, it's not. I think I said the Astros. I apologize. It was the Royals that was in the Cardinals division. Let me get the that. Astros are so, there too. It's the yeah. Astros, Royals, Cardinals, and Rangers. They would be in the Southwest Division. What else did I say? Mm. I know I didn't say the Royals. Well, the Midwest would be the Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, Twins. That's who it was. But I, I thought I, I know I didn't say the Royals. It doesn't matter. Yes, it would be interesting if it's White Sox, Cubs, Cardinals, and then the Royals. But I don't know what you would do geographically with Minnesota and Milwaukee. Not why, that we care here. Why don't you but. just make that one division? It's just those two teams? Yeah, eight teams in one division. Because his thing was four four teams per division. So I'm playing by his his rules. Well, I'm thinking of like hockey right now. If you look at the NHL, they did some, you know, some configuration with their conferences a few years back. We actually got a Blues text. and Blackhawks. Blues and Red Wings. Well, think about the Blues and Red oh, Wings. Oh, Red Wings, I meant. Yeah. That rivalry yeah. has diminished. That was such big a time. big rivalry in the 90s, you know, forever. Right. Up until the Red Wings went to the Eastern Conference. And, yeah, maybe a few games after the realignment, there was the rivalry. But, mm-hmm. like, ever since then, the Red Wings are just another team now. Like, we got a text from the 314. I don't hate the Red Wings as much now. We lost yeah. that rivalry. I wonder how when, much that had to do with uh, the Red Wings falling off, though. I mean, it's a good point. It, look, Michelle, I actually had this conversation with you uh, when I first when I first moved here. It, you, pro- you probably don't remember it, but when when I was producing the fast line, I actually, you know, I, I came from Detroit, and I remember you telling me like, "Oh, we hate the Red Wings here. We hate the Red." I'm like, <laughs> "Why?" Like, oh, that's that's our biggest rivalry. And I thought to myself, yeah. I'm like, do they know that? Because I I was in Detroit. They don't. I don't. I don't think they view you as a rival. So I wonder if Detroit. It, it's because of their their legacy. It, that is one of the reasons. But it's 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 a fair point. You're right. The Red Wings rivalry, Red Wings Blues rivalry here has lost some luster. It is. I mean, when's the last time Randy Carricker got to punch a Red Wings fan in the face? It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. It certainly has. We were talking about bounties last week, actually. Oh, when Jamie another. and uh, and Brad were on the show, and <laughs> that came up. Yeah, was it was that the Super Bowl? <laughs> no, it was the Blues Blackhawks. Is that what it was? It was yeah. a bounty for that. It was yeah. based on obviously the the Super Bowl with Greg Greg Williams. Yeah, yeah, Old they Greg. got they got in some uh, they got in some trouble for that, if I remember correctly. <laughs> There's an article about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> somebody picked it up. All right, yeah, we got, it wasn't great. No, we got some Blues over unders uh, coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Anthony Stalter. Andrew Marsh has some blues over-unders for us. What do you got, Marsh? All right, guys, let's start with... The big ones. How many games Vladimir Tarasenko will play with the Blues? And this is the second half over-unders. We're setting the over-under at nine and a half. There's about ten games or so oh, till, till the uh, 
trade deadline. So this is basically a a game in which you think maybe Vladimir Tarasenko doesn't get dealt for whatever reason. Right. I'm going to go under. I think he gets dealt, and I think the Blues likely trade him before that nine and a half number, Michelle, or they hold him out in that the, the day. I don't know if the Blues, I should, I should look. Did the Blues play on the trade deadline day? I believe they play the fourth. So they play the day after. They play the day after. Oh, man. I'll still take the under. I think he's dealt. I think he's dealt before the deadline. How qu- how quickly do you think he's dealt? Like, basically, do you think it's going to last closer to the deadline? Do you think there's going to be some suspense and entry? In- or do you think Army just gets the job done when, they com- when everything resumes? If I'm Doug Armstrong, uh, unfortunately for Blues fans, I am not. <laughs> If I'm Doug Armstrong, I want to trade him sooner rather than later so I can make the argument to give me more compensation, whether that's, you know, a better first-round pick or a first-round pick plus, knowing that he'll play more than just, you know, the X amount of games as soon as the deadline hits. Does that make sense? So yes. I would I would want to deal him now. I'm going to you. make the argument 10-plus games and then after the deadline. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well, and I'm with you if I'm Army. I, I know my dance partners are limited, so I'm getting to them and getting the best deal that I can before they find another option out there. All right, so we both got under? Yep. Let's move on to the next one. Ryan O'Reilly, games played with the Blues here in the second half. Over-under is set at six and a half. So we got the injury to contest with, too, but I'm going to say I'm gonna say the over. I think, he's, I think he remains a Blue. I think they figure out a contract extension with him. Again, if I'm Army, I'm thinking about how I'm keeping players that fit what I'm trying to accomplish here. It's not necessarily let's ke- let's just keep the best players, period, or let's just keep the captain because he's the cat, you know, for the sake of the captain. I didn't work with Petrangelo. I think that this is a situation where he fits well with what Army or with um, Barubi wants, and the Blues retain him and re-sign him to a modest contract. So I'm gonna say over. I'm going to say over as well, especially because JR had the report that they had already discussed an extension. And even though Army is looking to shake things up and deal some pieces, and Ryan O'Reilly is an attractive piece, I also don't know if he opens that dialogue with O'Reilly if he's intent on dealing him. Right. I also think to your Petrangelo point, you're right. It didn't turn out the way that they hoped that it did. But they also thought Colton Pareko was ready to take over. Yeah. They just won a Stanley Cup. Uh, Colton Pareko was great during that run, and he seemed to be the next man up. And even though Robert Thomas is seemingly the next man in line and will probably be a Blues captain one day, I don't think that day is today. And I I don't know if Army's ready to move on from what you get from O'Reilly on and off the ice without having somebody ready to step into that role. Let's go to the text line. We have from the 636, over under one and a half, number of Blues defensemen that are traded between now and the start of next season. Wow, that's a good one. Ooh, the start of next season. That's interesting. So you have, obviously, Colton Pareko, tough to move. Tory Krug, tough to move. You do have Nico Mikola, who is a UFA. Okay, so we can chuck him. I don't think you're going to move Nick Letty. I'm going to go under. I think it's only Mikola. Really? Yep. I don't see anybody else that 
that the Blues would be able to, would be able to move as easily as maybe fans are hoping. With the names I mentioned being the, at the forefront. Scandella has what one year left on his deal? Yeah. And that hasn't been fruitful. No, nope. that one. <laughs> so I imagine <laughs> that if the Blues could move, could have moved Scandella, <laughs> exactly. they would have. I'm like, when's that deal up? Right. Um, yeah. So I think he's still here. Uh, I think Army has probably exhausted all the all the phone numbers in the Rolodex trying mm-hmm. to deal Scandella. Letty, that's tough. Krug, Krug is tough. Draco is really, I mean, with the number. You're and, talking and about some production. heavy contracts. Yeah, that's really tough. Yeah, no. I'm going to go under. Yeah, I might too, even though I think Army would like it to be over. <laughs> I don't know if he can make it work. It's, a, it's a fascinating question because you could you see a lot of the f- frustration for the fans based on those those three guys, Pareko, Krug, and uh, who did I leave out? Letty. And Letty's more because he didn't bring back David Perron. I think it's I think it's over uh, because it almost seems like they need to do it. They need to. I don't know who who it would be, but it seems like they need to get rid of one of those guys to free up some cap space in order to, quote unquote, retool this team. So uh, one more Blues second half over unders Blues wins set at 15 and a half. How many games I got? I believe they're at like 51 right now, so I think there's about 31 games. Yeah, and I'll go roughly, roughly 30 games. Let's just what say. What are they though? 23, 25, and and what, three. three. Yeah, 23, yeah. 25. Okay. And uh, what is the over under? What's the number? 15 and a half. 15. So a little more than 500 is what we're saying. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say over. Ooh. I don't know about how s- I don't know how much, but I'm gonna say over. <laughs> I'm gonna say under. Oh, Michelle, you never oh, believed God, You I never don't. believed in the Blues. And this group, you're right, I didn't. I didn't think they would be better than last year. You you move on from David Perron, I don't think you're going to be better. I'm sorry. Oh, she threw out the fan favorite David Perron right of in our faces, too. Of course I did. But Michelle knows exactly I... what St. Louis card to play at what time. <laughs> you're right. I'm a veteran, okay? <laughs> Take it from a vet. That's a rookie-ass mistake, okay? <laughs> Walked right um, into her trap. Um, Do I think this team is going to be better after the moves are made? No, give me the under. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Anthony Stalter. Andrew Marsh here as well. We got the gauntlet coming up next. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Can you survive the gauntlet? Four oh four. Your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. After handing out a gauntlet trophy again yesterday, no better time to take us on than right now. What's up, Nathan? You're the latest contestant. Not a lot, man. How's everything going? Not well. We handed out a trophy yesterday. How are you? I'm doing all right. Let's see if uh, we can get you to hand out another one here in a couple days. We probably will. All right, new Gauntlet uh, 2.0. You've got two options for today. You choose the opponent. The wheel choose category. Would you like to take on uh, Andrew Marsh or, or myself today, Nathan? Uh, let's see if I can hit the old truck stick through uh, Marsh, I guess. And uh, hopefully I'll take on Jamie next week or something. Yeah, Jamie, we can we can get Jamie back. Well, it's either him or BT if you make it through Marsh and I. BT's going to be Perfect. in tomorrow, so you'll have, you'll have a couple of options tomorrow, too. But you want Marsh today? Yeah, sounds good. All right. All right, let's do it. And Marsh, can you hand me the uh, secret folder, please? Here's the secret folder. Thank you. 
you left yesterday, and Mike Ryder had a scramble mode. So scram I, I noticed that I, wa I walked out, and obviously we have the window here, so I can kind of see what was going on. And you were like, uh, "Where's the secret? Folder? Where's the folder, man?" And so I'm <laughs> it's like, "It's kind of like the president launch codes. Like I, I don't have those with me right, right now. Somebody has to hand it to me." Correct. Anyways, we're good to go. Uh, so Marsh is going to spin that wheel. Before we do, though, Nathan, you got a category that that you want today? Uh, hockey's probably my best, but it doesn't really matter. Okay, sounds good. So say one, two, three, spin that wheel. One, two, three, spin that wheel, Marsh. All right, so Marsh is doing that now. He's spun the wheel, and he needs to walk out to go to the cone of silence. Four categories. We have baseball, we have hockey, we have random, and we have football, of course. And uh, Marsh is taking a sweet time. The wheel is done, but Marsh is walking out now. I want to keep this legit, Nathan. We don't tell the fast lane hosts what their category is. All right, now he's in the cone of silence. How do you feel about baseball? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, baseball yesterday. Marsh, how do I put this, Michelle? He blew it. He did, big time. All right, so Nathan, you know how this works. Every question is worth two points in the gauntlet. Unless you need the options, if you request the options, then those questions become worth one point. Sound good? Yeah, can we add a phone a friend here and maybe Michelle could get Google ready for me? Absolutely not. No, Nathan. In fact, I've just docked you a point. <laughs> and Nathan, I don't need Google. I got the answers right here in front of me. I might be the first person to get negative points. Yeah, you started off negative one. <laughs> All right, Nathan. <laughs> Question one. Here we go. How many times did Albert Pujols hit two home runs in a game last season? So how many times did Albert Pujols hit two home runs in a game last season? Three. Final, Final answer. All right. Okay, Nathan. After 15 seasons with the Yankees, which team did Babe Ruth retire with? Oh, I got a buddy at work that's going to kick me for even asking, but give me the option. The Cincinnati Reds, the Brooklyn Dodgers, or the Boston Braves? Boston Braves. You knew it as soon as you heard it, huh? Yeah. All right, question three, Nathan. Which team is the only current MLB team to never play in a World Series? They've never played in a World Series. Which current team has never played in a World Series? Yep. Give me the options. Seattle Mariners, Chicago White Sox, Baltimore Orioles. I've actually been to the Camden Yards to watch a game, so why not? It's beautiful, huh? It is. All right, final answer on Orioles? Yep. Okay, Nathan, question number four. Which pitcher was the first in history to win more than one Cy Young Award? First name that I thought of was Oral Hershiser, but let me hear the option. Is it Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, or Denny McLean? Uh, let's go Sandy Koufax. Final answer. Final answer, okay. All right, we will motion in Marsh. 
from the cone of silence right now. How you feeling, Nathan? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Marcy's uh, having a tendency to vomit, so maybe he'll just give me the win today. <laughs> Certainly did that yesterday, didn't he? <laughs> All right, Marsh is uh, he's having his sip of water. He's going to put it on his headphones right now. Marsh, you ready? I'm ready to go. All right. Why don't you go ahead and pack that lunch? No. You ready? Yeah, I guess. All right. Question number one, Marsh. How many times do you have a guess what the category is? How many times? Yeah, based sounds on like that. A, sounds like a random Sounds like a random question. How many I'm... times do monkeys... You got no. <laughs> How many times did Albert Pujols hit two home runs in a game last season? It's not random. It is baseball. Oh. How many times did Albert Pujols hit two home runs in a game last season? All right. Well, let's see here. He did it against the Pirates, I believe. He did it against the Dodgers when he hit 700. Um... I'm, I'm going to need the options. Three, two, three, four, or five. Oh, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, four. I picked four yesterday for a reason that had nothing to do with the question. I'm going to pick four again. Four. Final answer. All right. The old number, Anthony. <laughs> the old hockey number. The old hockey the number. The old hockey number. Didn't it come through for you yesterday? It did. It actually yeah. did. So nice. hopefully it does today. Okay, Marsh. Question number two. After 15 seasons with the Yankees, which team did Babe Ruth retire with? Uh, I believe it was... Oh, the Braves. I think it was... I don't know what city it was, though. Let's go with the options. The Cincinnati Reds? The Brooklyn Dodgers or the Boston Braves? Let's go with the Boston Braves. Final answer? Final answer. All right, March, question three. Which team is the only current MLB team to never play in a World Series? To never play in a World Series. I believe that would be the Seattle Mariners. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think they've ever into a World Series. I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners. Final answer. Which leads us to question number four. Which pitcher was the first in history to win more than one Cy Young Award? Um, let's go with Sandy Koufax. Final oh, answer? No, hang on. Yesterday, I, I did the same thing. Question four, set a name, didn't get, he wasn't even an option. But how do you not have Sandy Koufax as an option? Sandy Koufax, final answer. Wow. That whole process there Sorry, was. Sorry, I just, you know. Was a real in-depth look at Marshy's thought process. That was Our, like a glass case of emotion. It right certainly there. was. Let's go over these. Nathan versus Marsh today. Let's start off with, uh, after 15 seasons with the Yankees, which team did Babe Ruth retire with? Nathan, you said the Boston Braves. Marsh, you said the Braves, couldn't think of the city, then said, eh, you know, give me those options, and you landed on the Boston Braves. Correct answer is? It is the Boston Braves. Nice job, guys. Neither of you, though, neither of you 
knew it off the top of your head. So 1-1. Mm. You both used the options on that. Which pitcher was the first in history to win more than one Cy Young Award? Nathan, you went Sandy Koufax. Oh, thank goodness. Marsh, you went Sandy Koufax. Oh, wait. No, wait. Hold on. <laughs> I did this yesterday where I just... How can Sandy Koufax not be an option? Sandy Koufax. Correct answer is... It is old Sandy Koufax. It is Sandy oh, Koufax. Goodness. Marsh, though, did not need the oh, options. Yes. After uh, an agonizing thought process, he did land on Sandy Koufax, so he's got a 3-2 lead over Nathan. Which team is the only current MLB team to never play in a World Series? Nathan, you went with the Baltimore Orioles after listening to the options. Marsh, you landed on the Seattle Mariners. Correct answer is the Seattle Mariners. Nice. So, Marsh, I I wrote down one point for you. Did you use the options on that? You didn't, he, did you? He I don't did think not. so. I didn't he think did so. Not. I'm once, keeping track. Once I looked at that. All right. So you kind of know how this winds up, but we'll tell you what the last question is, anyways. How many teams did Albert Pujols hit two home runs in a game last season? So how many home, how many times did Albert Pujols hit two home runs in a game last season? Nathan, off the top of your head, you went three. Marsh, you went four after listening to the options because your hockey number was four. Nothing to do with the actual question. Correct answer is? The correct answer is four. Nathan. You have chosen poorly. You lose. Not today. So Mar- I guess I got to go lick my wounds here. Yeah, Marsh Marsh came out angry today. He plays angry. He did not get the save yesterday. Nathan, you called him out. He didn't even hear the comment that you had for him coming in the door. What did he say? Marsh, don't worry about it, okay? All right. uh, and Marsh- oh, I'll tell him I'll wear it. Hey, I'll, I eat my crow, man. Hey, he he was asking how I did. I said, I didn't think I did too well, but you had to have a tendency to bomb him, so maybe you'll just give me the win. Oh, you know what, though? He's not wrong. He's like, <laughs> he's not wrong. Marsh is so nice. Uh, all right, so Marsh with six today. Nathan, you had two. I docked you the one point, though, for asking Michelle at one point uh, as a uh, help a friend for Google. So you got one today. So one plus, uh, one to six. Uh, Marsh, you absolutely destroyed you today. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Marsh, well done, man. Good job. Well done. Wow. Really could have used that yesterday, Anthony. You could have. That's okay. That's all right. Winners bounce back, and you you uh, yeah. you won. Hey, I looked this up while we were playing. So, Pujols, four home run – or two two home run games. He did it four times. Yeah, what were the other games? I think I named two of them. You said the Dodgers. Of course, yeah. that's the historic one. What was Pirates. the other? He did have one against the Pirates. Yeah. I know he had one in – my birthday is August 13th. It was either on my birthday or I think the day before or after. You say August 13th? Yeah. Uh, the day after, he had two home runs against the Milwaukee Brewers. There you go. Mm. And he also had two home runs against the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's right. And it was in a series that immediate, uh, two series after the Milwaukee series. So he hit two home runs against Milwaukee on August 15th, then hit two home runs against the Diamondbacks in Arizona on August 20th. What a season. The guy was on fire. Real. What was the best home run that he hit, though? Not 700. 700? Well, not that. Oh, I got to preface this. That was not 700. The one against, uh, 
the the uh, the afternoon game, the Rockies one, the, the Rockies Grand Slam. One. Oh, yes. yeah, it was pretty sweet. That was sick. Wasn't that an afternoon game? It was. We were here watching the game. Thank you. Yeah, I, I always yeah. I, I pictured I picture it being daytime, right? It was. Yeah, what I a, believe it was a pinch hit home run. I too. think it was or Grand Slam. So I'll go with I'll go with that one. I like the one against the Cubs. That's the one. That's I was a good thinking. one too. That was classic. Which one was that? Remind me again. It was, uh, I believe it was a tie game. It was the series in which uh, Wilson Contreras came to St. Louis. That was when he did not get traded. It was, I believe it was very close to the trade deadline. In Chicago or in St. Louis? In St. Louis. Last at bat against the Cubs, too, if I remember. Oh, you know what? Yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Right? So maybe it wasn't. I got a 2 0 victory on a Sunday. Yep, he broke a 0-0 tie, two-run home run, 695. I, I remember now. Okay. Last at-bat versus In the In the Cubs. bottom of the eighth. Okay, okay so yep, that, that was later in the season. Yep. Kind of a different different yeah. series. Good call. What a guy. What, what a guy. What a player, that's for sure. <laughs> Will there be enough ABs to go around for the young players, speaking of the Cardinals, now that Albert is gone? Uh, not Sorry, not gone. He's still with us. He's retired. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Defensively, he can he can be an everyday second baseman. I don't think it's you know, quote, like a weakness. I think, you know, obviously um, playing and, and having regular at-bats is something that I think a young player like him also needs because I think, like, when he wasn't getting used, then I think he was putting a lot more pressure on himself when he got to the plate to try to make something happen. That was John Mozalek and what Nolan Gorman's role could be this season. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Anthony Stalter. It's a fast line on 101 ESPN. Will there be enough at-bats to go around for young players? I think that this is one of the more underrated questions facing the Cardinals this year, Michelle. We, we've talked at great length about the lack of top-end pitching. We've talked at great length about you know guys like Tyler O'Neill and whether or not he's going to stay healthy. But when it comes to players like... Nolan Gorman or even a Juan Yepes, I question whether or not there will be enough at bats to for the Cardinals if they really truly want to get a look at some of their young guys that have either come up to the or through the organization like Gorman has or kind of has like Juan Yepes after he he was acquired in the Matt Adams deal a couple of years ago. I don't know if there's going to be enough quality, consistent ABs for the Cardinals to know exactly what Nolan Gorman is or exactly who you know Juan Yepes is by the end of the year. I hope it's that. I hope that's not the case. But do you see a clear path for either of those guys? No, but thankfully the DH is in the mix, so Mm -hmm. there's additional opportunities for them to get those at-bats. And we keep talking about Jordan Walker and when when he's going to come in and then you're moving other pieces around. Uh, You're you're talking about Lars Newtbar. You're talking about Donovan Yepes. There's a lot of young, intriguing talent on this team. And John Mozeliak has talked about this at length, Anthony, that they need to know what they have in these guys so that they're hanging on to the right young talent and dealing the the guys that they know that they can live without. After the Randy Rose Reina deal, that has been kind of the Cardinals' MO, that they need to make sure that they know their young talent better than anybody. And how are you going to do that if you can't get a good enough sample size of what you have? Right. And I do think it's going to be difficult for them to do that. But it, it doesn't always work out this way, but it does seem like – 
if if one person doesn't really take the ball and run with it, that those things kind of even each other out. That that some someone usually will will rise to the occasion and, and kind of run with it. But one guy that I am really intrigued by is Juan Yepes. Mm-hmm. This this guy has. Uh, the potential to be a real spark plug for this team. I love that he was the one that stepped up and did it offensively in the playoffs. And I love that he was the sponge to Albert Pujols last year <laughs> and really wanted to soak in all the knowledge that he could. I mean, that tells me a lot about a player that he sees the once in a lifetime opportunity and he's like, I don't even care if I'm annoying. I'm going to take advantage of this. I would love to see him get a little bit of a runway, but will the opportunity allow it? I don't know. Yeah, and good on Juan Yepes too for for seeing what he had in that that opportunity and taking advantage of it. We've we've listened to Adam Wainwright. I don't know if, if you were still on the show with with uh, Randy Michelle when you guys were talking to to Wayno and he told the story about how Greg Maddox, when Wainwright was drafted in Atlanta, went to Wayno and said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be here in the gym every single morning at this time. I'm gonna be working out and doing my crosswords crossword puzzle." You could join me at any point. And Wayno talks about, like, he kicks himself for not going every day to pick Greg Maddox's brain. Mm-hmm. So good. And this is Wayno, and Wayno is one of the most, uh, you know, self-aware people when it comes to, you know, his own game and 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 being, you know, being better each and every year. For him to say that, I, I think is uh, shows remarkable honesty. But Juan Yepes is just like, no, nah, I'm I'm gonna dive right in. <laughs> I, I'm in. And and Albert Pujols, every chance that that he could get, he. He spoke glowingly of the kid. So Juan Yepes, I'm with you, Michelle. I think he's one of the more intriguing players. When it comes to Nolan Gorman, it's a fine balance because you get a young player and you're trying to set him up for success. I do believe in baptism by fire. I think there's there is an element to you either have it or you don't, and you and as a team you want to find find that out. I I don't, you know, I don't know if that works for every player though. When it comes to the Cardinals' usage of Nolan Gorman, I understand the balance of hey, we're only he's a, he's a left, we're only going to have him face righties. My thought process last year, though, as I'm watching this go down, I got I got frustrated. I thought if this is supposed to be one of your dudes going forward, if this was going to be one of your pillars in the, a foundational piece, he's got to face both. Nolan Arenado is not coming out against right-handers. No. Paul Goldschmidt is not coming out against right. They're dudes. So if you want Nolan Gorman to be a dude, then let, let's let's have him face both righties and lefties. But again, first year, they're they're trying to kind of set him up for success. I get that. Yeah, they don't want to ruin the confidence. But my point here, Michelle, is that if you are you going to do the thing where Juan Yepes faces the lefties from the DH spot and Nolan Gorman faces the righties from the DH spot, if you do that, I think you're kind of limiting things, but I don't know how else you attack this. This is my point of I think this is one of the more underlying underlying questions heading into the year. Do you think that the Cardinals are under a lot of pressure to hit on one of these dudes, that one of these young players needs to ascend into a homegrown dude? We're all banking on it being Jordan Walker, but we're all banking on it being Oscar Tavares. And, yes, I know those were severe circumstances, of course. Mm-hmm. But we were banking on it being Jack Flaherty. We were banking on it being uh, Michael Waka, Alex Reyes. I mean, a lot of these these young talents that the Cardinals have had over the past couple years, whether it's pitching or position players, haven't necessarily come to fruition. Now, of course, there's been some nice pieces, some really good players, but they haven't ascended into... I mean, what's the last guy that you can think of that has hit, that has really Albert. hit, right? It's it's Albert. I mean, I, I wonder if Waka would have... 
had he not had the injuries. I think Walker was uh, was on that path. I think Shelby Miller, you know, at times there was, you know, I, I can't remember what, what year it was off the top of my head, but Shelby Miller had that one year where you're like, okay, it, it, we see it. Uh, but no, Michelle, it's Albert. Uh, do you disagree with that, having followed the Cardinals as long as you have? I'm trying to think of another name. I feel like there might be one. Did Matt Carpenter come up through the system? I mean, he yes, kind, he, did. he hit. I mean, we will call yeah. Matt, Matt Carpenter is likely a Cardinal Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. So I would I would say Matt Carpenter hit. But Albert, Yachty, Carp, those guys, they're not here anymore. You right. know, And there's been this big gap in between of potential. Yep. And with some of these guys, and let's even just remove Jordan Walker from the conversation because he's supposed to be the unicorn. How many times have we talked about the next outfielder being the guy? Right. Dylan Carlson, he, uh, grime out of my cold, dead hands, John Mosalek mm-hmm. said. Tyler O'Neill, uh, the power, the muscles, the speed, the athleticism, he's, he's going to be the guy. Harrison Bader, he's not here anymore. Right. I mean, let's not even go through the list of outfielders that were there before them. Oh, uh, you know, it's going to be Nolan Gorman. Haven't seen it yet. All, all of these players that we continuously talk about, and we just haven't seen it hit yet. And it, it's a kind of a conundrum that the Cardinals are in because they do have a lot of talent that they need to flush out. But it's hard to, to to balance whether it's injury, playing time, are they ready yet? When are we going to, like you said, give them a baptism by fire? It's a very delicate dance. That too, Michelle, to your point, uh, is why I always said the Randy or Rosarina tread was not Matthew Libertor. The, the key was not Matthew Libertor. The key, and I said this at the time, was Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, and Dylan Carlson. That's what that trade was about. Why? Because they felt the need. They're good with giving up Randy Rosarina to get this young lefty from the Rays organization. Why did they feel that way? Because they, they liked Harrison Bader, who is now a New York Yankee, Dylan Carlson, who has been in the league. We, we like to think Dylan Carlson's been in the league for 10 years. He hasn't. He's been in the league for 40, 42 minutes. So let's 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 pump the brakes on that. But they like Dylan Carlson. They like Tyler O'Neill. If they, if you don't hit now on those – one guy's gone. If you don't hit on one of those those other two guys, it's not about Matthew Libertor. It's about the fact that you, you were good with giving up a Rosarina because you had those other two outfielders. So to your bigger point about the outfield, yeah, at some point you got to hit on these dudes. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's Jordan Walker. Other organizations have developed superstars. Other organizations have developed stars. Oh, but the Cardinals picking the back of back end of the draft every year. How, how do you expect? So the Dodgers. So the Dodgers. Yankees, they got Aaron Judge. They weren't correct me if I'm were they drafting first? Other teams have developed superstars. The Cardinals have had an absolute superstar once in the last 20 years. They've had really good teams. They have really good players. Yes, I was going to say they've had superstars. Really good players that they could plug in on their team and deal to other teams to acquire superstars like Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Right. Their scouting department has done their job. They have found the talent to make their team competitive. Yes. But at some point, Cardinals fans are getting frustrated, or they are. They've arrived at frustration on several different planes here. One being they want to see a World Series, and the other they want to see a homegrown superstar. Absolutely. They've been they've been craving it for many years. Yep, and I don't blame him. And obviously, you know, we, we, somebody probably already brought it up. The, the tragic passing of Oscar Tavares, you know, it's it's fair to bring that up as well. Of course. Certainly not. Out of their control. There's, it's out of their control. But So are injuries, we're, by we're, the way. Out of their control. Certainly. But we are moving further and further and further and and many more drafts in between from what Oscar Tavares, you know, since, since his passing. And I think Randy Flores has done an outstanding job at drafting. 
at some point, though, let's let's get a superstar position player, and maybe that is Jordan Walker. It'd be fun. Let's watch him for the next 10 years now. It'd be oh, outstanding. That'd be so awesome. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Anthony Stalter. It is the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. How much will, will coaching factor into the Super Bowl? I think it's interesting from one angle, and it might not be the one that you think. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle, who, which coaching staff do you feel is under the most pressure on Sunday? And I don't mean mo- the most pressure to like to succeed. I mean the most pressure to make adjustments throughout the course of a game. If you had to just choose one side. That's interesting, Anthony. Sorry, I had my mic off there for a second. Right. What, a, what a rookie move. <laughs> uh, it's like I haven't never done this before. So initially, I would say Nick Sirianni and the Eagle staff because Andy Reid, Spags, they've got the rings. They've, ha- they've got the hardware. But then I look at the injuries that the Chiefs have, and I would think that the, that Andy Reid and that staff, they're going to have to make more adjustments based on their situation. But I still think there's more pressure on the staff that hasn't gotten it done before than the guys who've been there. Yeah, I think I think that's well said. I I, I look at it the way you, you looked at it when you're walking down kind of the injury aspect with the Chiefs. I, I actually think that when you look at, you know, who the Eagles are and who the Chiefs are, Nick Sirianni has got a lot to prove. I also don't know how much changes for him within his offense. I think the Eagles are one of those teams that's like, no, we're going to do what we do. And I think they have the benefit of doing that because they have multiple ways to attack you. Jalen Hurts uh, with his legs. Jalen Hurts from a passing standpoint. A.J. Brown, big physical wide receiver. Devontae Smith, perfectionist when it comes to route running. Different ways to beat you. Dallas Goddard, three running backs, not just one. They got Miles Sanders, they got Kenneth Gainwell, and they've got Boston Scott. They have they have multiple ways to attack you. So they can kind of figure out, you know, both sides have to make adjustments. I mean, that's that's what coaching is about. But when it comes to like that that chess match, I think it's gonna be a harder job for for Andy Reid and for Spax. Andy Reid doesn't like to run the ball much. And I think that, you know, when you look at play offensive play callers. Kyle Shanahan will run. The, he don't care. He'll run the ball. He loves it. He loves designing run plays. He does. He loves designing uh, play action off of those run plays. Sean McVay, I think, when he's at his best, is leaning on that running game until, of course, he has, he's got to throw it a little bit more. But Andy Reid, my man loves to throw, and I think he gets bored with the passing game. But when you have Travis Kelsey and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and I know he had a great AFC title game, Marquez Valdez Scanning is not number one. You know, he's not he's not a true X receiver. When even those other guys banged up and you're leaning on those two guys, I think it's imperative that Andy Reid figure, figures a, a solid running game out with Isaiah Pacheco and then continue to mix him in not only in the running game but the passing game. I think there's more – pressure might not be the, the, the right word for it, Michelle, but I think there's going to be it, – it's a bigger challenge for Andy Reid despite having Patrick Mahomes. Does that make sense? Yes, because he has to work with the pieces that he has. But do you think that even despite all everything that you just said, what his tendencies are, the injuries that he has to deal with, that you still have more confidence in him to make the adjustments based on the resume and the history than you do somebody like Nick Sirianni, who's who's fresh in this ro- fresher in this role yeah. and who hasn't won? Like, if it comes down to halftime and both teams need to make the adjustments, mm-hmm. do you do you still have 
more confidence in Andy Reid to get the job done. I mean, Andy Reid, I respect so much. I think he's one. I, I do think he's one of the best play callers in the league. To your point about Nick Sirianni, what's the one thing that we really haven't seen the Eagles do a lot this year? We haven't seen them come from behind. They have had a lead, and when you have a lead, your playbook is open. There are there are so many things that you can do. And you get to a point where you have enough of a lead, you play the you play the clock more than you play the opponent, right? And I think that if the Chiefs are able to build a lead, Michelle, maybe exactly what you're talking about comes into play a little bit more. And this is when Andy Reid shines, and he's like, "Well, we're gonna put we're gonna we're gonna put our our foot firmly to the floor. I got Mahomes. I'm gonna continue to outscore you. How can you make the adjustment?" We talked a little bit earlier about Spags and his defensive adjustments. The Chiefs are all, they sell out for negative plays. That's all they want defensively. But Spags is also a creative guy. And he, he could come up with a wrinkle or two that does create that negative play, puts the Eagles on their heels, and then Patrick Mahomes can kind of take over. Uh, but if the Chiefs are the ones that are trailing and it winds up being a situation just like we saw in that Tampa-Kansas City Super Bowl, Michelle, I do wonder after Andy Reid didn't make a lot of adjustments in that one to to overcome the the offensive line. I'm talking about earlier in the game when you're mm-hmm. when you're when you're trailing by you know multiple scores. There's only so much you can do. But I'm talking about early in the game, there wasn't a lot of adjustments made. He kind of just kept running his his system, and it worked to the Chiefs' detriment. If he doesn't change, I think that the Chiefs will suffer the same fate. But it's going to be fascinating. And I, I know that it's obviously human nature and the right call to lean towards the people who've gotten it done and who have the history of, of course, we know how great Andy Reid is. We've seen what Spags can do with the defense in the Super Bowl, but I just think Nick Sirianni is not getting enough credit for what he's done with this Eagles team and this Eagles offense. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because of the, the complete nature of their team and how they really have no weaknesses uh, I don't know if it's because of the opening press conference that people continuously want to go back to, but it seems like we're not giving Nick Sirianni enough credit for what he's done to transform this Eagles team and the offense. I mean, he he took over a mess with Doug Peterson. I think there were four and eleven at the time. Uh, I'll go back and check that. But he he kind of had a little spagsism in, and it wasn't four pillars, but it was it was five things that he implemented. He reestablished a culture. The players love to play for him. And he looked at Jalen Hurts and what his strengths were, and he tailored the offense around him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you're going to fit into my system. It's, I'm going to look at what you do well, and I'm going to build it around you. And his decision-making has gotten better as the Eagles have progressed as well. So we have our sports six-pack coming up. You you actually have an interesting question in regards to Nick Sirianni that I want you to, to throw out there first. We've got our sports six-pack next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have a question. It's time for the Fast Lane to answer your sports questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Answer the question. Answer the question. Asking me all these weird questions. Answer me! The Sports Six Pack is refreshed by Schlafly Beer, the original St. Louis craft brewery. Time for the Sports Six back in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Question number one. Do I get the honors of question number yeah, one? Yeah, you get the honor. <laughs> Michelle, I know in, a, in the pre-show meetings, you had an interesting take on Sirianni. 
So we were just talking about the coaching advantages in the Super Bowl, Reed versus Sirianni. And if the Chiefs win, we're ultimately going to exalt two people first. It's going to be Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback, and it's going to be Andy Reid, the coach. Then, of course, we'll talk about Spags or Travis Kelsey or Chris Jones, whomever. But it's those two guys first Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about. If the Eagles win, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. But will it be Nick Sirianni second? and or tied for first. I don't know if it will. I think it might be Howie Roseman who built the team. Mm -hmm. It might be another player that we talk about, AJ Brown maybe, who knows. But I don't think that Nick Sirianni will get the shine that he likely deserves if the Eagles win, at least right out the gate. Do you guys think I'm wrong? No, I don't. I think it'll be the player, the next player who had a big game, whether it's a defensive player or... It is uh, a player like you said, A.J. Brown or Devonta Smith, whoever whoever has like that big game outside of Jalen Hurts. I think you're right. To your point, or I think the point that, that I believe you're, you're making here, Michelle, is look, Nick Sirianni, as you mentioned the previous segment, this is this is somebody that that did what all offensive play callers and teams for that matter should be doing. Design support the quarterback and what support the quarterback means you'll hear it all the time on on draft night and i disagree with it it's not drafted the number one tight end or draft the number one wide receiver that's not supporting the quarterback you build a football team from the outside in you protect him the eagles have one of the best offensive lines in football protect the qb on the other side Get a defense that's going to get the damn ball back or stop the opponent. The Eagles have done that all season long. I know they added A.J. Brown. I know it's exciting to watch A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard do their things. I get that. Supporting the quarterback should be offensive line, defense, then then a solid running game, which the Eagles have had as well, and Jalen Hurts is a big part of it. Then we could talk about the wide receivers. And if you disagree with me on this, look at how the Patriots won a billion Super Bowls. The one that they didn't win was the one in which they had Randy Moss. And that was a fluke, granted. I mean, they, they won every other damn game that year. <laughs> yeah. But my point being is that the Patriots knew how to, how to build. And when you look at teams that have, like, the best wide receivers, they're often the ones that don't win. I'm, if the Chiefs win this year, yeah, they've got Travis Kelsey, but they would have done so with Marquez Valdez-Ganley probably seeing the most targets on him. Is any defensive coordinator losing sleep over trying to figure out how to guard Mar- Marquez Valdez-Ganley? No. But the reasons why I listed for the Eagles and, the, and building, I think, are the reasons why the Eagles are going to win, and the Chiefs aren't, because they don't have the old line, and I don't think they have the most talented defense. I also think he doesn't get enough credit for what he's done culturally in that locker room and in that organization. I looked it up in the break. When Doug Peterson was removed, they were 4-11-1. Carson Wentz was out. He was supposed to be the guy. He wasn't. Nick Sirianni took over a tough spot. Mm -hmm. And he has five core values, like I was mentioning last segment. Their accountability, connect, compete, fundamentals and football like you a lot of that just sounds like coach speak right sure yeah i mean we saw spags with the four pillars mm-hmm. after that first press conference for sirianni this could have i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna instill these five core values this could have been a disaster but he got everybody in that locker room to buy in yep. and that is not easy 
it's easier said than done. And he got it done. And this is very a team quickly that, too. And very quickly that plays for each other. They're they're selfless. They mm-hmm. are a complete team on and off the field. And I just don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done. No, and I don't think to your to your earlier point, to your question, I don't think he will either. All right, March, we're gonna go rapid fire. Go. Let's go. Question number two. From the three one four Michelle being in New York now, how do Yankee fans feel about how Steve Cohen runs the Mets and stealing some of their headlines. <laughs> They're paying attention. I'll tell you that. I'm in the studio in ESPN New York. Was talking to the guys uh, before the show, and we were talking about Steve Cohen and the importance of local sports, the, the power rankings, if you will. It's still football. Jets, Giants, one, two. Yankees, two. Mets swooped in. They're three now. Wow. It, Steve, if the Knicks are good, I mean, I'm sure they'll like sure. hop right over the Mets, but. The Mets were not in that 2-3 slot before, but Steve Cohen has spent the cash. He has stolen the headlines, and this team has superstars, and they're intriguing. So I think Yankees fans are kind of sleeping with one eye open. Question number three. From the 314, guys, if you own an NBA team and you truly believed you were one score away from a title, would you take on problem child Kyrie Irving? No. Next question. Absolutely not. <laughs> And uh, just see his track record since, you know, hitting the shot. Hit the shot, you know. I know. He it was did. Like 10 he years did. ago. Good player. Like, great. Great. Yeah, good player. I want. How's nothing it worked to, out? I want nothing to do with him. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. Next question. Kyrie, I believe you. Next question. <laughs> question number four. Next question from the 217. Would you rather see Jack Flaherty throw a 20-win season or Tyler O'Neill have a 50-home run season? Wow, I'm 50 going- home runs is a lot. Yeah. But what do you need more? I was just going to say, I'm going Flaherty because going of Flaherty. need. Yep, I'm going Flaherty. That 20-game winner, we're talking about somebody that would be like a, a, a legitimate number one, right? So I'll right. go that. I'll go Flaherty. I think the 50 home runs, though, is is interesting because do you see yourself signing Jack Flaherty or do you want to sign Tyler O'Neill and keep that consistency moving forward in your organization? I don't want to. I, I think it would be real tough to re-sign any of them, either of them. I think they're two injury-prone players. And I think if they have big years, I think the Cardinals should allow them to walk, believe it or not. And people are going to disagree with that. But I'll hold I'll hold firm on that. I think there's players, you mentioned this yesterday, I think there's players that are injury-prone. And unfortunately, those are two, two of them. You're talking about a pitcher that's already had injury problems? I'm sorry. I, got, I, I hope he has a great year. And I hope that the Cardinals allow somebody else to pay him. Question opinion. number five. Very unpopular, Anthony. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. We're going to bring both back. From the 314. Millions. Ten-year uh, ten deals ten each. Ten-year deals each. What will be the more enjoyable experience going to a City SC soccer game or a Battlehawks football game? Yes, give me both. Here in St. Louis, we support all St. Louis teams. That's right. Did I do that right, Michelle? Yeah, you did. Okay. sounded great. Thank you. Both. Oh, yeah. I mean, I want to go to both, too. But if I have to choose, I have been to a Battlehawks game. I have yet to go to a city game because I haven't played yet. Correct answer is both. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> question number six. We made it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> wow. I think, guys, this is the first time I've made it to question six. We never us. do, and we are way off the clock. From the 314, very quickly, will the halftime show suck? Probably. No. What? <laughs> Probably. Are you Team Beyonce? Is that why you're dissing Rihanna? I I, I couldn't name one Rihanna song. <laughs> um, Umbrella? Umbrella? 
I don't like that song at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you can what, name it. That's where she named But you have heard of me. You have uh, heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a reference to a previous show. Umbrella, that's when she repeats it, right? She repeats yeah. Umbrella 42 uh-huh. times. Oh, yeah, so Umbrella, Ella. Ella, Ella. So she, is, so she is Beyonce then. Excuse me? Beyonce repeats her repeats the lyrics over over and over again. The chorus are, is the same. Are you talking about one song, single ladies? Put a ring on it. How many times? That's, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> what about it's, what about? Uh, sounds like that song was used against you, and you have some. No, some, no, some, no some really, it really wasn't. <laughs> Michelle, pull up any Beyonce song. Look I at have the lyrics. All in my head, right here. They just it's oh it's the same thing over and over and over again. Incorrect. <laughs> Factually incorrect. <laughs> you're just, you know, I love you, Anthony, but you're just playing wrong. I'm not going to watch the Anthony. halftime show. Come on, <gasps> I'll use that. I'll use Stop that it. time. Wow, geez, it look, both of you looked at me like I, I murdered somebody. This is Rihanna. We are talking about here. Both of you looked at me like I don't use condiments. We found love in a hopeless place. Come on. Probably repeat. Work, Actually, work, 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 work. You yeah, know she actually does four times in the. Thank song. you. Where have you, know you been? I never thought you know about all that. Songs, Anthony. You know What's my old... name? Rihanna and Drake, uh, and their love uh, affair days. Diamonds, uh-huh. Anthony. I'm out. You can't wow. convince me. I'll get that. That'll be the time where I uh, I refresh the drink and uh, you know get some food. Dive into that cookie cake. I, I'll, I'm likely to buy. The shade. Sorry. Towards our girl Riri. I apologize. Unnecessary shade. I'm kind of concerned about your taste in music now. Oh, you would hate my taste in music. I'm sure of it. Anthony, you're being such a rude boy right now. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, that's a song, isn't it? I get it. Take a bow, Anthony. I get it. All right, Mo's philosophy on it. Oh, Marsh. Are you trolling again? <laughs> it's a five o'clock hour, Anthony. It's a five o'clock hour. Uh-oh. My wife just texts. Yeah, shine bright like a diamond, Anthony. Come on. There we go. Okay. Kristen loves Beyonce. My wife loves Beyonce. Of course she does. She has amazing taste. <laughs> All right. Most philosophy on adding pitching. Uh, Marsh trailing everybody. It's 5 o'clock hour next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's Fast Lane on 101 ESPN 5.07. Your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Since Marsh wants to troll everybody, uh, Cardinals fans, <laughs> specifically at 5 o'clock every, every hour now. I'm on to you, Marsh. I see what you're doing. Uh, here's John Mosellock. Uh Actually, sorry. You, you good with the audio? I'm going to give you. You good? You sure? Marsh, you look nervous. I don't want to throw to audio if you're not ready for it. Anthony, I'm ready. All right. So he's always ready. Here's John Mosellock and the Cardinals pitching depth and his philosophy on adding pitching. If he has one, you never stop looking to improve your club. I mean, that's that's just a twelve-month-year process, but you, you have to weigh that against what you already have. And so, when, when you look at what we're bringing in the camp, and, and obviously, I think everybody would agree, you have Michaelis, Flaherty, Montgomery, Matt, and Wayno, and then Dakota Hudson on the outside looking in. But you know, we'll see what we have there. 
But then you have guys like Packy Naughton, Volante, Connor Thomas, Zach Thompson, Jake Woodford, and Drew Verhagen all looking for starting innings. So there's going to be a lot of stress on the coaching staff to try to manage how all that works out in camp. One thing that's going to allow us a little bit more flexibility is both Wayno and Michaelis will likely be in the WBC. So that's going to create innings for other people. But so when you, when you think about that, that group I just touched on, obviously not all of them are going to be able to start, but clearly giving them a look at innings is going to be critical over the seven week camp. John Mozeliak, that audio courtesy of the Cardinals Radio Network. Michelle, when you listen to John Mozeliak talk there, uh, it certainly seems like his philosophy, and I was being snarky and rude, but, you know, he doesn't have one, but his his philosophy. Go ahead, Marsh. What are you going to say? I was just turning my mic on, Anthony. <laughs> Why do you think I was going to say anything? Because you had that grin. I'm uh, just laughing. You know, you're, you make me laugh, Anthony. Well, uh, when it comes to Mo's philosophy, seems like we're going for quantity right now instead of quality. Do you feel the same way? They've got a group that has a lot of potential, if healthy, right? Mm-hmm. But, but what's the upside? That's my uh, question. Of the group collectively? Yes. What's the ceiling? Right? Because I don't think they have, I, as of right now, do they have a one-two punch at the top of this rotation? If they're healthy, I would love Jack Flaherty to be the one. I would think Jordan Montgomery and or Adam Wainwright could be the or Miles My, Michaelis, depending on what happens, could be a two. If Jack Flaherty's healthy, we're we're taught and the Jack Flaherty we expect him to be, mm-hmm. we're taught we are having a totally different conversation. But I think you and I are on the same page that we are not going to expect that because it has not happened because right. of injuries. You can't, you can't, you can't bank on it. I understand him in being in the rotation. Sure, but if the thought process, and I don't know, I don't know, maybe this is not the thought process, but the, if the thought process is healthy Jack Flaherty, we got our number one, uh, that, then you're, I mean, pass me over whatever you're drinking. I'm sure it's outstanding. He hasn't been healthy. <laughs> he hasn't been healthy. And I understand the the idea of, well, we got Jake Woodford. We got this guy. We got that guy. We got really excited. We're pumped up. We're bullish, to use a Mo term. We're bullish on the collective pitching, you know, pitchers that we have here. Okay, prove it. Prove it. Your young guys that you've been developing, I hope they do. Sustained winning is not what the Phillies and the Mets are doing. I know you love it. As a fan, signing a free agent, nice. it's, it's a blanket on a cold night. Makes me feel better. My team is trying. Your team is throwing a bunch of money at a hired mercenary. It's not, it's not sustained winning. Sustained winning is drafting, developing, and then paying the guys that came up through your organization. That's what sustained winning is. I think the Cardinals, Michelle, are trying to do that. But at some point, you have to develop a stud. And I love the draft philosophy of, of Randy Flores. I think the draft philosophy since the, you know, the, the days of like when they had Randall Gritchick and Stephen Biscotti, and I love Randall Gritchick. I, I got to know him a little bit personally working – Various projects. I think he's a great guy. But when it comes to like Gritchick and Piscotti being like your top your top dudes there for a while, something's wrong with either the draft philosophy or in Randall Gritchick's case, you're acquiring talent. Something went wrong there. Flores has cleaned that up. You're talking about Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn and some of these other dudes that we continue to talk about. Mm-hmm. But now the pitching looks a little 
barren. But if they hit on some of these young guys, I think it's it's great. It's best case scenario. But what, what what we're working with right now is very good. It is not it is not great. It doesn't have the potential to be great either, in my opinion. I don't know about you, but I always look at a rotation and I think I always think World Series. Of course, that's what we do, right? And or even just playoffs. Mm-hmm. If the Cardinals win the division and we're having a conversation about this collective, and I know we'd have to see how the season panned out and who's healthy, who's dominant, who's not, et cetera. Maybe Mo pulls another Jordan Montgomery and he makes a move at the deadline. There's a lot of factors at play. But just let's say this is the group and we're talking playoffs. Does any one of those guys really strike fear in the opponent? No. And the the longer the Cardinals are in it, and God willing, they will be in it. But the longer that they're in it, the the more problems occur in that regard. Because you're like, talking about facing, Michelle, to your point, some real dudes on these other teams. Adam Wainwright might. Uh, I mean, when Uncle Charlie's on, he is on. Mm-hmm. You know that he is going to pitch his tail off, and he's going to give you the innings. But will he be there? Will he, will he be healthy at that yeah. point in the season? And will he be effective? Yeah, you. I think he wore down a little bit. I think he wore down last last year, of course. He's in his 40s. What do you expect? And the guy's been giving you everything he's got for the last three years. Everything. He, he He's even said it all the time. He's like, put the innings on me. Mm-hmm. I'm the old man. I will endure it. Right. Every single time the Cardinals have, have needed him to carry the load, he's done it. You could not have gotten more out of Adam Wainwright no. these past couple seasons. Absolutely. But it's not... At some point, right? Anthony, I'm in my 30s. I can barely walk up the stairs anymore. I'm like out of breath. You what? know what I mean? Like, how much are we gonna? Come on. Oh my god! I went to this workout class this morning. Your girl was huffing and puffing on the treadmill. <laughs> it was embarrassing. Okay. And Adam Wainwright is older than me. I just, again, he has given us everything he's got. Uh-huh. I just don't know if he's going to be in that conversation. Jordan Montgomery, Miles Michaelis, Mats. These these are quality pitchers. Yeah. Are they true number ones? Are they? The Cardinals are headed into a first-round playoff matchup against yeah. whomever, and the opposition is afraid of them. It is a very solid rotation. The fact that we're asking whether or not you know it could are they are they number ones that they answer to that question. You're not you're not they're not having this conversation in Atlanta. They're not having this conversation in Philadelphia. They're not having this conversation in New York. They're concentrating on like who's going to be our three. Yeah, L.A. Do you think the Dodgers are having this conversation? No. No, no, I don't think so either. And they're they're banged up, but no, when they're healthy, forget about it. We got a text from three one four. Thank you for holding Mo accountable. <laughs> well, uh, look, Anthony Stalter said that. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire Mo. I never thought about it. <laughs> I don't know where that voice comes from. It All is right. the best. Got, uh, <laughs> I love it. You did it. You did it like a couple minutes ago. Part. I had to hold my composure because you just weave it in so naturally. Every it's once so in a while. Good. Yeah, every once in a while. It must be something I do with the kids, maybe. All and right. By the and- way, you know what's going to happen is all, all of these guys are going to hit their potential. I'll wear it. They're I don't stay care. Healthy That's a beautiful and they're part. They're all going to hit their potential. The rotation is going to be the number one strength of the team, Anthony. That's what's going to happen. Because this is not what happens every year. All the questions and stress we have mm-hmm. in, in in the off season or heading into spring training. Usually, yeah, that's then it's the thing. It's like the least thing that we have to worry Absolutely. about. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, listen, Michelle, I'll, I'll give you guys a secret. My, uh, uh, Marcia, can you turn off the mics for a second? Just give us a little uh, mm-hmm. mic. Yeah. All Mich- right, they're off. All right, thank you. Uh, this is. Uh, I'll give you a secret, Michelle. Okay. I love okay. crushing myself. I have no problem with it. 
I love just absolutely saying I was an I was an idiot and I was so wrong. I would be I have no problem doing that over and over and over again if if this winds up being a lot better than what we think. Uh, Marsh, back on with the uh, mics, please. Okay. All right. Thank you. We did get a text uh, from the five seven three. I think the voice comes from Bill Burr, Anthony. It's, the comedian Bill Burr. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how much Bill Burr I've consumed though, mm. yeah, I've in, in, in order to pick that up. I do like stand-up comedians, but I don't. I've seen Bill Burr a little bit, but I can't say that I've. I, I could see it. I could see it. it, or hear it. I guess maybe I'll check. Maybe is he he's is he one of the comedians featured a lot on Netflix? Maybe I'll yes. Maybe I'll check him. He kind of has that that high pitch to it when he like oh, you know you know sure. what I'm saying kind of like that. <laughs> is he? Uh, <laughs> is he the Boston guy? Yeah. Or the new. Was no, he he's in, from Boston, I think. Research is on it. Stand by. I think he's, he's from he's from the he's East from coast. the East Coast. He's got that accent. Our okay. boys from Canton, Massachusetts. Oh, he's yeah. Okay, mm. there you go. Loves him some Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, he does. All right, it's Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. <laughs> NFL Four Downs next. We're right back to the Fast Lane podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. NFL four downs. Marsh, what do you got for us? First down. All right, guys. Let's start with our first question. Which team is the best fit for Aaron Rodgers to be traded to? So maybe not the best fit for the Packers and to receive picks back, but what team best suits Aaron Rodgers moving forward if he is dealt? What do you think, Michelle? I think the obvious answer is the Jets, right? Anthony, I know you hate this saying, but doesn't it feel like the Jets are kind of a quarterback away? Oh, Michelle, you're never never one player away. We got a question. uh, The sports six-pack, somebody's like, you know, if you were one player away, would you have Kyrie? I'm like, no, you're never one. Uh, I know know that's your ethos, that you're never one player away. But it does feel like the Jets are maybe a quarterback and some minor moves away from, from being a team to really pay attention to, no? Uh, I think they have the potential, certainly. They get a really good running game if Brees Hall comes back healthy. And that defense, I thought, uh, showed some promise. I think it was they were a little overrated toward the end of the year because they had kind of a rough second half. But to your point, there's, there's something to build on. If I'm the Jets, though, I would want a commitment from him. Like anybody would want him for one year. But if you're going to give up the draft comp- compensation, I, want, I, I, want, I would want you for two years at the minimum three years would be preferable i'm gonna go with the raiders though it's kind of the obvious choice with Devontae adams but pair him yeah. back up with Devontae adams josh mcdaniels can can do you know he can work wonders with with him um <laughs> rams rams fans st louis rams fans would say no but i i think josh mcdaniels is is a smart guy and i think that he would he and aaron Rodgers would be combustible yet they could do some good things. Yeah, yeah. All that success he's had, apart from Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, <laughs> looks like a real smart guy. By the way, he had guys... Tim Tebow yeah. and Bradford with no line. Yeah. 
Urban Meyer won with Tim Tebow. And look what he did with Jacksonville, okay? Don't you Tim Tebow me, Anthony. Urban Meyer barely tried a year ago. <laughs> That's true. He's just he, was, he was trying his... at that bar in Ohio. Let me yeah, tell he you. was. Ohio! <laughs> <laughs> speaking of, did you guys, we're getting loose in the last yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see the latest on Aaron Rodgers? He had his, his weekly Tuesday Pat McAfee conversation. Oh, did you boy. see what he's doing? No. Why does this annoy me? It, you're going to be so annoyed. Okay. I can't wait to tell you. What is it? So uh, here's the quote. He's go- he's going on a darkness retreat soon. After the Super Bowl on Sunday, he's and going Soulard? on a, a darkness <laughs> retreat. No, not that darkness. Oh. He said, quote, I've got a pretty cool opportunity to do a little self-reflection in some isolation. Oh, here we go. And then after that, I feel like I'll be a lot closer to a final, final decision. <sighs> That's on if he's going to come back or if he's going to move or not. And they asked him. They followed up to like a darkness retreat. What? And he says, for sure, it's a real thing, 100%. Oh, that's about the retirement. Mm-hmm. But remember last year he did ayahuasca. I was just thinking yeah, it sounds like a D&T t- kind of night for, for My man's got to have all sorts of ancestors' yeah. hands all over him. 100%. So he said the retreat's going to be alone in the confines of a small house. It's in an undisclosed location. Meals are delivered. But otherwise, there is no contact with the outside world. It's sitting in isolation, meditation, dealing with your thought. It simulates a DMT so there can be some hallucinations in there, but it's just kind of sitting in silence, which most of us never do. We rarely even turn our phone off or put the blinds down to sleep in darkness. I'm really looking forward to it. And Rogers also said he could leave at any point during the darkness retreat if he chooses, but that's what our boys do on after Sunday. I, I, I do I do appreciate when somebody disconnects from the self. We, we scroll 100%. too much. Oh, we waste yeah. too much time. I'm I, I respect him for that. I don't know if you need to crawl in a dark hole for a month <laughs> to get that done, but you know, it, more power to you. Whatever, don't knock what, what what somebody's into if it you know is it's if it's if it's about self improvement. Having said that, is he not the most punchable player in the NFL? Like out of all the players that you just mm-hmm. want to throw your fist right through the back of their skull, is Aaron Rodgers not at the top of the top of the list? Because he is oh. for me. That is such a good question. I don't think he is for me, Anthony. I find the guy so interesting. Like, he is just so interesting. I just want to know what he's doing. Like, like, what's going through his brain? No. How many hands are touching his body? Right. What is he going to do in this dark hole? I really want to know. You know who I want to punch? Russell Wilson. It's a good call too. You know Russell what I mean? Wilson. Hey, Russell, Russ is like he's, he, he's great. He's, he's doing a goofball. Kids, you know, he's got Sierra. Yeah, I understand. But I, I don't need you to be talking about high knees. I don't. Uh, yeah. You know what? When Russell Wilson says <laughs> "Let's ride" or "Mr. Unlimited," I'm, I want to punch him. I'm sorry, and no, I am a, a lover, not a fighter. He's but a he good, makes that's me a good angry. One. Well, speaking yeah. of uh, uh, Russell Wilson, <laughs> second down. Oh, look at. Transition. Transition. Uh, so Russell Wilson, he wanted Sean Payton as the head coach in Denver. And we got uh, some audio courtesy of, I believe it's Darren McKee of 104.3 The Fan. And, well, this is uh, what he had from Sean Payton. Sean Payton was asked a specific question about Russell Wilson, and uh, this is what he had to say. Coach, uh, Russell Wilson had a personal coach, Jake Hughes, in the building with access who wasn't on the staff. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with that. Right, how do you feel about um, players having their own people off the staff in the building access to players? Yeah, that's foreign to me. That That's not going to take place here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. 
but our staff will be here, our players will be here, and that'll be it. Interesting. Okay, so mm. is this relationship already off to a rocky start? No, it's already off to a great start. This is what Russell, to Michelle's I want to punch him point, <laughs> this this is what Russell Wilson needs. As soon as Sean Payton, the deal was announced that he was going to be the Denver Broncos coach, I don't know about you guys, but the first thing I thought of, cool, Russell Wilson's now out of excuses. It's official. It's not. We tried it your way, dude. You you came in. You had forty two parking spots for. Uh, you, you got one. You can only drive one car, Russ. I don't know why you need so many parking spots. You got your personal coach. You're not paying attention to your teammates. You, you're doing that. You're practicing the high fives for I don't know what after losses, Russ. What are we doing? You're doing the high knees on the on the plane. Every teammate's trying to trying to sleep. You got the. You almost got the backup quarterback killed because he was trying to defend you on the sidelines to to one of your teammates one one game. It's we tried it your way, Russ. It was an absolute disaster. You're not cooking anymore. It, uh, you can use the microwave, Russ. That's it. Don't you? You can't come close to the stove. You can use the microwave, and maybe at some point when you've earned it, the air fryer. That's Whoa. it, Russ. You're not cooking. You can't mess things up with the air fryer. I, I swear. Love the air fryer. It's the greatest invention ever. He's out of excuses, Michelle. So sometimes on Carriker and Smallman, we would do the Mo translator where, because John Mozeliak tells you the truth. You just have to listen closely, right? So I want to do the Sean Payton decoder here, okay? Where he says, when he says, that's foreign to me, that's not going to take place. I'm unfamiliar with it. Our staff will be here. Our players will be here. And that will be it. Here's my decoder, okay? Beep, up, boop, beep, beep. <clears throat> Sean Payton is saying, I'm the captain now. Yeah. You know what? Let's ride. You're going to ride your behind to the facility. Mm-hmm. And you are one of many on this team. You're off your pedestal. I am the captain now. He is taking control. You used five words on that one. I did. I know. I am. Well, no, it's fine. I got four as okay. my decoder. Beep, boop, 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 beep. <laughs> what Sean Payton is saying is not up in here. Wow. Wow, yeah, you just had to use one last thing, okay? <laughs> I was and writing I, that down while you were saying that. Thank so. you, I appreciate it. And did you guys see Ed Werder's report? He spoke to Drew Brees. What? He, they shot. let him out of Dallas? I know. They let him off Brett Favre's lawn? I know, it's crazy. <laughs> He's free. Ed Werder's free. He's free. <laughs> free Ed Werder. Uh, but no, he's free, and he spoke to Drew Brees, who obviously knows Sean Payton very well, and Ed Warder was saying that Breeze indicated that Russell Wilson is going to have to humble himself. He's going to have to be willing to be coach hard, work on his flaws. He said if Russell Wilson goes in with the mindset that he's learned everything he has to learn, this isn't going to be a fit. And this is from a guy who had a lot of success under Sean Payton. Yes. And he's looking at the scenario and he's observing what we're observing, that Russell Wilson seems to believe that he's got it all figured out. And he's saying, if you go in there with this mentality, it's not going to work out for you, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Russell Wilson looked up to Drew Brees. That was his guy. Drew Brees, shorter quarterback. Russell Wilson, shorter quarterback. He he, he wanted to, he, he looked up to uh, Drew Brees' career. Is that a short joke? No, I see. I knew I was trying to get away from that, Marsh. <laughs> I saw your face too. I'm like, he's gonna say something <laughs> yeah, about the short. Stupid to say. No, no, it was well played. Call Drew Brees. What do I need to do? That seemed yeah. to be like the early, early version of Russell Wilson. What do I need to do? That guy is still there, but him at some point wanting to be Tom Brady or wanting to be Mahomes or wanting to put up all these MVP numbers, he got away from the team. 
call Drew Brees. What do I need to do under Sean Payton to win? Go that route. Yeah. And he'll be fine. And Brees also said that this is an amazing opportunity for Russell Wilson Certainly. because Sean Payton will build around his strengths. Sean Payton's awesome. He's, yeah. he's outstanding. All right. Uh, we're going to carry this over because we only got to two. In 10 minutes, we got to two questions. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. So the third and fourth downs are next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, as Marsh just told you in the Sports Center update, part two of our NFL four downs. Third down. Because Michelle and I couldn't shut up in the last segment. <laughs> we were talking about the darkness. Not the one in Soulard, but Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Taking his time, making sure he wants to come back and play football. Which ticks me off, by the way. Why? He was at, you know, he was at, what was it, Pebble Beach? He was just yeah. at Pebble Beach. Yeah, yes. he was just at Pebble Beach. And, and, and maybe I missed the whole interview. I, I, I completely admit that, okay? But I heard a, a portion of it where... He was like, yeah, you know, fans out there, they're cheering, cheering the Devontae Adams. Uh, you know, me getting back with Devontae Adams. You know, we're having fun out here. Hey, dude, you still play for the Packers. Why don't you talk about that? Uh-huh. You know you, you know you have a contract? Which you signed? Drives me insane. But Aaron Rodgers loves to play games with people. This is, a, come on, every year. It's, it's worked out well I, in his I, personal life. Ooh, Anthony. Shots fired. Wow. These, these From are, the top row. These are on. Shots fired. My bad. Anthony. Go ahead, Michelle. I cut you off. I'm sorry. Just because he's maybe unlucky in love doesn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> in love. <laughs> okay. I don't even know where I'm going. Um, but come on. This guy, he loves to do these interviews with Pat McAfee and say all these cryptic things because he loves that, that people like the three of us are going to talk about it all the time. You're right. He, for somebody that's going to go away in a darkness retreat, he certainly loves the spotlight and he loves the attention. No kidding. Well said. Michelle, you missed it. Anthony, in the in the break, he was he was just sharing his displeasure for, for Aaron Rodgers, saying he wanted the swanton bomb him. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I just said I missed an opportunity. I said to March, I missed an opportunity. I said, I'd like to go to a dark place right now. And then I just said a whole bunch of things that I would <laughs> – do to Aaron Rodgers in a violent way <laughs> in a wrestling match. I, I, I didn't know that he was going to bring it up down air, but uh, you know, you got to well, speak your truth. And do. I did say that. Anthony pulling his best Jeff Hardy moves. You know, this feels like a segment brewing, like the dark place, where we just get to go to the dark place and go on a, a, a like a full Anthony ourselves. Whatever it go. is that day, let's go to the dark place. Mm-hmm. Brad calls it Purge Friday. <laughs> Purge Friday. Yeah, Brad. Brad. <laughs> Brad had the idea. Brad had the idea of any like really negative text or tweets that would come in. (laughs) He wanted to do a purge Friday where he could say whatever he wanted to texters or tweeters and (laughs) not have any repercussion for it. We got a text from the three one four, the Stalter's elbow. The Stalter's (laughs) elbow. I love it. It's good. Well done. Anyways, back to the NFL. Yeah. Again, we derail again. (laughs) Unreal. Speaking of uh, Aaron Rodgers and all these quarterbacks, which domino has to fall first this offseason before the QB carousel begins? Aaron Rodgers. 
Yeah, doesn't it have to be 12? Yeah, I think it's going to be. You think so? Yeah, I think it's got to be. Not Derek Carr? No, I think it's got to be <laughs> Rodgers. Yeah, because he, well, he's the, you know, for as punchable as he is, he is also still a great player and somebody that can change the immediate future of an organization. So I think it's Aaron Rodgers followed by Derek Carr. I really like Derek Carr as a player, but do you think any organization out there that's looking for quarterback, if Aaron Rodgers has still hasn't emerged from the darkness and made a decision about his future, is going to be like, well, let's jump on Derek Carr. No. Everyone's no. going to wait for Aaron Rodgers to decide because Certainly. he's one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. Of course he's the first domino that has to fall. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting offseason because you got Jimmy G, too. Yeah. Jimmy G is going to be available. See, we we mentioned Vegas. I think Jimmy G could be a player for Vegas because of his connection with with uh, Josh McDaniels. Yep. And the Raiders are a little – they're not good, but they're a little too good to land a, a top quarterback. So, in the draft, I mean. So, you know, they could do a lot worse than Jimmy G. You know where I want Jimmy G to go, guys? The Miami Dolphins. Really? I don't think Tua is coming back. Yeah, he might not. I mean, if, I, if I'm too, if I'm his family, I'm having long, hard conversations sure. about my health and what's really important. And Jimmy G, can you imagine having Anthony, that Italian skin in the sun? <laughs> He's perfect. Come on. Be a golden goddess. <laughs> Look at him. I don't know, He'd he, be great in aqua and orange. Yeah, absolutely. It's perfect. Oh, <laughs> I was listening to... Uh, I, Michelle, I think I was listening to Mad Dog Sports, and you're gonna nice. you're gonna do you're gonna do some Mad Dog Radio uh, on yeah. Sirius uh, coming up. I, I don't know who the host was, but the, he was kind of running through. It was it was over the weekend. He was running through the quarterbacks that he thinks could go where, and uh, he got to Baker Mayfield. Oh, all Baker! Forgot and about him. It, it's, yeah, I had the same reaction. <laughs> I had the same reaction. I go, oh yeah, I guess oh, Baker yeah. Mayfield is available. Okay, I wonder oh. where he's going. Do you know who he picked? Baker Mayfield for what team? The Indianapolis Colts. Nope. Is it a team that has a quarterback? Not not really. The Jets? Nope. Is it a team? This really infuriated me. Was it the Bucks? Nope. Hmm. Oh my God. The Atlanta Falcons. Yes. I almost drove off the road. Make you upset. That was the easiest answer. And this dude was like, yeah, you know, Baker Mayfield, perfect, perfect fit. This guy, he could have a big year in Arthur Smith. What are you talking about? What has Baker Mayfield done over the last two years to indicate that he's going to have any sort of big year? Anthony had a great comeback. A great drive. I know. One good drive. Yeah, one good drive (laughs) on a Thursday night, and everybody's like, this is the talent that Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. (laughs) (laughs) I almost punched my radio. All right. Did we get to four? No, we we have not. Wow, we are not doing well. No. Fourth down. Uh, which coaching hire so far has been the best for a team's specific situation? I mean, it's Sean Payton. It's Sean yeah. Payton because it, he's the only one that's going to step into that spot and and you know tell Russell Wilson what he what he needs to hear, not what he wants to hear. So I'll go Sean Payton. Yeah, you gave up a lot to get Russell Wilson. You gave up three players and two first round picks and a fifth rounder. And a, there's a lot of money attached to this guy. You need this to be the the right move. Mm-hmm. And you bring in an established coach who's going to take control, who knows how to win, and who can fix him. If, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's Sean Payton. I think it's Brian Flores in the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> the Kidding. new defensive coordinator for Marshy's Minnesota Vikings. Yes. Criticisms, compliments next on 101 ESPN. We're right.
back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. miss anything from today's show make sure you download the podcast available at 101 espn.com or on your 101 espn mobile apps all brought to you by dobbs tire and auto centers want to do this right now so we don't run out of time michelle marsh and i have thoroughly enjoyed the last two days working with you again thank you so much for filling in and we look forward to uh more more opportunities to do shows in the future Thank you guys for having me. I've had an absolute blast. You, you two are the easiest to work with ever, and we've had so much fun. You know my number. Anthony, now you know my number. I After know, you I got a new number and didn't numbers. tell me. I'm sorry. The, the audacity. I bl- uh, yeah, blame it on the three call kids. Me yeah, no, we will. No, you're, you're an absolute pro. And, and if, tell us where we can hear you nationally, too. You can. I need to do a better job of tweeting it or posting it on Instagram. You can follow me at msmallman, but I am doing fill-in work for ESPN Radio and for Sirius, and so the next time that I'm on, I will be sure to put it out there because I'm very bad at self-promotion. I just go to work, you know? Yeah. As you say, Anthony, I pack a lunch. I just show up and, do, and do the work. You got the, you're, you're from the Midwest. <laughs> you got the... You got the lunch pail. You're ready to go. But Ma- Michelle, right. you're you're incredibly talented, and uh, we'll, I, I hope you do tweet out where we can follow you nationally too, because I know you do great work with the ESPN Radio. Thank you. Appreciate you both. All right, Marsh. Criticisms, compliments. We got two minutes. Yeah, we just had one roll in. I really like this text. It just says, uh, "This is from the three one four. It just says, Marsh, comma Michelle, the ultimate queen." And Staltz, the king of softball swag. Hey, thank you. Love y'all. <laughs> Wish you were around more smalls. That's a really good one. The king. First of all, thank you. What did they call me? The ultimate queen? The, the ultimate, ultimate queen. queen. Should I add that to my Twitter bio? I think so. I think it's official now. <laughs> I like the, like the softball swag. Softball too. swag. That's Marsh right now. Marsh led us in our home run derby last week, last year. Oh, oh, that's right. Marsh crushed it. Yeah. But thank you for the compliment. And I think I you will that. hear Michelle until a point where it's like, okay, just how about you? All right, stop. You're using me on every show now. <laughs> I'm happy to, please. I'm trying to talk Cardinals and Blues out here, and everyone's looking at me like, do you think we care? <laughs> do you think we care? I, I was able to get some Harrison Bader, Jordan Montgomery talk out of these people nice. because of the St. Louis connections, but that's sure. even run its course. They don't want to talk to me anymore, so I'm happy to come on anytime. Beautiful. Uh, we got a ton of compliments for Anthony as uh, they all agree. Not all, but uh, a lot of people agree that uh, with your Rihanna stance. Thank you. We got one from the 314 compliment, Anthony holding Rihanna and Beyonce accountable, <laughs> even though they've done almost nothing to deserve it. Uh, Beyonce is now the most awarded artist in Grammy's history. No what does deal. she need to be held accountable for? Her lyrics. Repeating them constantly. <laughs> Stay strong, Anthony, and rock on. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Thank you to everybody listening throughout the course of the show today. BT in for the next three days for Jamie Rivers. So for Michelle Smallman and Andrew Marsh, I'm Anthony Stalter. Again, big thank you to Michelle, and uh, we look forward to doing more shows with her. So tomorrow, 2 to 6, you got instant replay coming up right now. See ya. You've been listening to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.